What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What it do, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time without my co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. We do, however, have a mega episode queued up for you as we continue our season preview train. We're going to be talking about the Grizzlies, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Dallas Mavericks. We're going to begin with the Spurs. I brought on Paul Garcia from Project Spurs and host of the Spurs Cast podcast. Follow him on Twitter at Paul Garcia NBA. Then... We go probably a little too long with Isaac Harris to talk about the Mavericks. He writes for Mavs.com and is the co-host of the Lockdown Mavs podcast. Check him out on Twitter at Isaac L. Harris, spelled exactly as it sounds. Once again, we then wrap up with some Grizzlies talk with Keith Parrish from the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Also has a new Memphis Grizzlies-centric podcast coming out called Grits and Grinds. He is hysterical. His NBA coverage is fantastic. Uh, at Fast Break Breakfast as well. Follow him on Twitter at Keith Parrish and definitely follow Fast Break Breakfast on Twitter where he does most of his tweeting at Fast Break Break. Before we do get into this episode, I'm going to once again remind you, implore with you, beg you, plead you to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We're still getting those nice little one-star written reviews as it seems like an offshoot of one, Andy's uh, top 50 players of all time rankings that he published at Bleacher Report, and I've since started rolling out my top 100 players at Bleacher Report by position. We want to try and offset those bad numbers from people who are big mad. We appreciate them, though, if they're listening and they still hate the podcast. We love every single one of you. We can also be found wherever else you're consuming your podcast content, but iTunes is the best way to let us know that you are out there, that you are listening, that I'm not rambling into the great void. Just want you to know that we appreciate every single one of you. Any recommendations you can give if you've already subscribed, rated, and reviewed to us, we appreciate that as well. We are pumping out content like crazy. I believe this is our ninth podcast of October, so we are committed to covering the league as best we can while adding a little bit of personality, hopefully, without this podcast seeming too dry or robotic. And maybe you even laugh once in a while, only because we might think that we're funny and we're really not. Follow us on Twitter. At Hardwood Knox, as usual, spelled as it sounds. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. Also follow Blue Wire on Twitter, at Blue Wire Pods. I'm pumping out great tweets over there, or semi-great, or sub-mediocre, whatever you want to call them. And you can also then monitor all the other great podcasts that this network has. Also, before we get started, we did have some breaking news as just before I was recording this introduction Woj reports that a severe injury has been ruled out for Zion Williams's right knee, but he is expected to miss a period of weeks to start the regular season. Pels are clearly treating this injury, this is verbatim, with an abundance of caution, but there's no shortage of confidence on a full recovery. I am sad. I wanted to see him play on opening night. The Pelicans will still be fun. They have Lonzo Ball. They have Brandon Ingram. Nikhil Walker, Alexander, my large adult son, is going to be there as well. 
there's still reason to watch, but it really sucks after the, the preseason that Zion had where it looked like he might be a top 30 to 35 or top 25. People thought he was going to be top 20 just right off the bat. It would have been interesting to see how that's going to translate. The Pelicans, however, as good as they might be immediately, they are not on this Insta timeline, and caution is is the right move. Still sad because it does take away a little bit from, from opening night. With all of this rambling, ranting, and important note-keeping out of the way, let's get to our previews. Again, we are beginning with the San Antonio Spurs with Paul Garcia. Then it is the Dallas Mavericks with Isaac Harris of Mavs.com and the Locked on Mavs podcast, followed by Keith Parrish with the Memphis Grizzlies outlook. He is from the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Check him out on Twitter at Keith Parrish and at the Fast Break Break. Time to talk some San Antonio Spurs with Paul Garcia. He is an NBA writer for Project Spurs and also host of the Spurs Cast podcast. Follow him on Twitter if you're not doing so already at Paul Garcia NBA. Always uh, a, a fun guy to follow on Twitter. Uh, has great stuff over there. Great analysis on Twitter. Great writing. Again, follow him at Paul Garcia NBA, spelled exactly as it sounds. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I think I can't forget. I can't remember the last time I was on with you, with you, and I think uh, uh, Mo was on this last episode. So yeah, now that I've seen some pre, some Spurs preseason games, I'm excited to talk about some of the things that I've seen. Yeah, I think we had you on uh, over the off season, and then Mo had to ditch us for for the athletic because that's how he rolls. But no hard feelings here. Uh, the The big thing about the preseason for me, uh, getting into our sexy six for the San Antonio Spurs is DeJounte Murray's playing basketball again in front of our eyes. What have been your impressions of him post-ACL recovery? The one note I'll preface that with is his three-point shot and the percentage, his willingness to take them, and and the percentage obviously seems very encouraging. Yes, I mean, like, Dan, it's it's a lot like as far as like you just forgot what he was like defensively. I mean, he it's it's been a slow process. You know, the first two games it went very slow for him. You know, he's been a little bit more cautious with with driving to the rim, uh, with taking some jumpers, and then also with defensively, you know, getting getting in there and, and really um hounding guys. And then you know, as as the as the preseason has gone along, Pops have been giving, playing him from the first through the third quarter to let him get more comfortable, kind of let, letting him get his feet wet. And you just see the transformation. I mean, defensively, he's all over the place. Uh, there was a there was a play that kind of went viral yesterday on YouTube, not on YouTube, on um, Twitter, where he was guarding James Harden one-on-one. I mean, he's had a lot of different plays like that. Just the other night, he had a block under the rim on Zion Williamson. And, and I mean, in one possession, the guy can just disrupt the team's, um, you know, offense, uh, you know, two, two or three times. Uh, even if even if he doesn't get the ball, he's just such a disruptive force. And so that's what the Spurs were missing last year. So you can just tell that defensively, they should be a little bit better uh, having DeJounte just back on the floor overall. And then offensively, I mean, his growth, he, I mean, I hadn't seen him for basically two years since the last time he, he, before he got injured, and uh, his growth is just there. I mean, he's more confident in that jumper. He's t- he's actually taking the threes now if they're spot up. Uh, he did one against the Pelicans where it was kind of off of a screen. Uh, his, his mid-range jumpers there, Bryn Forbes had been kind of harping on that in the in training camp, and now we, we've actually seen that his form looks a lot better. It's a lot quicker, a lot more smoother. So, yeah, I mean, DeJounte's been very impressive, and 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 my biggest thing with with, with him being back, well, I think we're gonna get to this topic a little later. Is just it's kind of hard to see him um, be like the the best playmaker he can be when he has DeRozan and Lamarcus Aldridge right there next to him. Yeah, the that James Harden clip that you're referencing, I uh, d- doing a project for Bleach Report that I began way before the preseason of ranking the NBA's top 100 players, and those were one of those clips where you try not to let yourself get seduced by preseason. 
but I had to be talked off a ledge for moving him up like 15 spots just based off that one clip because the way he was moving after the ACL, just in that one clip against James Harden was just absolutely wild. Yeah, and the thing too, like one, one notable defensive play he just made the other night was they were playing the Pelicans and Brandon Ingram, you know, gets him on a switch and right away he want, Ingram thinks he can post him up. So he puts Murray in the post and the guy can't even, his teammate can't even throw the entry pass because Murray scoops it up before he even gets to Ingram's hands. I mean, that's the thing is like, even though he's really wiry and very skinny, he's actually a really long, lengthy defender who knows how to use his size well. And, and he can be physical at times. Uh, second topic here, Derek White. Is there cause for concern with his shot, um, looking at how he's performed offensively during the preseason as a scorer? And then yet, the other thing it feels like is I was watching their game against the Rockets, and there was a lineup that Pop had rolled out. I forget what it was, but he was effectively the point guard, and he looks just like he has a better feel for being a playmaker overall. And so is there a like a tug of war there where you've been kind of impressed and concerned about what you've seen from him in the preseason? Is it just preseason is preseason is preseason? What have you kind of made from what you've seen, what Derek White is doing offensively so far? So, so one thing I'm not concerned about is his shot in terms of uh, attacking the rim. I know he's missed a lot of floaters this year. I think like the first game he was I – mean, the first two games he was like 1 of 14 or he was a terrible number. And a lot of them were like bunnies and, and floaters near the rim. It wasn't a lot of – he doesn't like to take jump shots. And that's kind of what I – I kind of learned that in in, uh, in the summer with Team USA, you know, I was I was eager to see Derek and see, okay, what has he added to his game? Is is he going to be a little bit more confident of a shooter? And no, he's more of that guy who's just like, you know, if the shot's there for me, I'll take it. Like the defense goes under on a mid range jumper, I'll take it. Or if it's a spot up three pointer wide open, it's like my last option, I will take it. So he's not, you know, I, I just wasn't that impressed in terms of his shot selection. It's kind of what it is, you know. He, he's going to take the smart shots is basically what it comes down to, but he's not an aggressive shot taker. Uh, uh, and, you know, like I said, his rim drives will eventually get there. In terms of his, his playmaking, I mean, just having becoming the Spurs' um, full-time point guard last year because DeJounte was out all year, that really shows the growth of Derek where his playmaking, I mean, they they easily have now an option off the bench in terms of a, a guy who can easily run pick and roll for them. Uh, he's basically going to be their sixth man now. Have to A lot of their offense off the bench is going to have to come through Derek in, in, in terms of his playmaking creation because DeJounte and DeMar are starting there at the, uh, in, the starting, in the starting spot. So, um, yeah, I mean, whenever they put him in, whether he's with the second unit or if he gets some minutes with the starters, like you mentioned there, with uh, Aldridge and, and DeRozan and Rudy Gay, uh, he's going to be comfortable in either spot. Now, his role has changed. I will say that's where I'm a little bit more concerned is that now he's all, all of a sudden, you know, he went from being the starter to now he's off the bench. You know, he's having to, to play, um, you know, with a different kind of lineup, a faster lineup with a lot more shooting, but not as many playmakers uh, in it like kind of how like he was used to with the with the starting group so it's going to be more of a transformation for Derek but um you know in the long run I think he's okay and uh they, they should benefit from him coming off the bench and if he's still not going to be an aggressive shot taker it might almost help him coming off the bench then because they'll they'll need more of that playmaking since he all of a sudden isn't playing alongside DeMar DeRozan who I I always just viewed as the Spurs as de facto point guard last year even though that's not obviously where he was playing yeah, and uh, that's for sure. And, I mean, one of the things that a lot of Spurs fans right now are disappointed in is that Pop has not played the uh, DeJounte Murray-Derek White backcourt at all in one preseason game. And that's one that a lot of people are hyped up for because, you know, these guys, Derek basically got some votes for, um, for All-NBA second team last year, and then DeJounte is an All-NBA second team defender. So so Spurs fans are really excited to see what, what are these two guys going to look like on defense. They're going to just shut down the entire backcourt of the, of the opposing team. 
However, you know, because Bryn Forbes is playing so well, because he's such a lethal three-point shooter and they need his spacing and his volume of shots, they had a, Pops having to bring Derek off the bench. And, and, and like you mentioned, Dan, uh, with DeRozan, Aldridge, and Murray already starting and taking all these different shots and running the offense, uh, there's not a lot left for Derek. So I think that the bench right now looks like the best place for him. Speaking of LaMarcus Aldridge, entering his age 34 season, is is this the year that we expect regression from him? I just... I know some people don't like the aesthetics of his game, but I continue to marvel at how year after year he just hits these insanely difficult shots. Uh, Last year, more than 61% of his total looks came on contested or very contested twos, and he shot almost 54% on them. That was after a slow start to the season, and he shot 56.3% on those same looks the year before. Uh, Is this, should we expect, particularly maybe with, not just his age, but you you have Murray back. There's DeRozan there too. And then you're going to have uh, Derek White on the floor with him at points, I'd assume, as well. And you want to get him more touches. Do we expect him to take a step back? Or is his game, it's always been viewed this way, as it, as it just kind of shown that it's a little bit age-proof. You know, father time gets to everybody, but this isn't someone that, that we have to worry about. I mean, I, I was actually expecting that, you know, he would start to decline. But, I mean, last night he makes, he makes that statement not look so, so bright after he uh, – he ends up going 11 to 13, scores 22 points in three quarters. I know it's preseason basketball. But I mean, I mean, Dan, his his mid range jumper is just on fire at times. When he gets it going, I mean, it, he's just going to make it all day, and that's kind of what it was yesterday. So yeah, after last night, I know it's a it's a it's a recency bias. Uh, you know, he he still got it. Now the question is again, how how much uh, responsibility does he have on offense uh, with with DeRozan and Murray there now? Because now it's almost like there's three playmakers, very aggressive playmakers in this lineup. And so Pop really has only had those three guys available for one game in the preseason. So we, we quite haven't seen uh, when all three of them share the floor together, you know, if Aldridge is still going to get his, his diet, his steady diet of shots uh, from the from the from the, um, the post up. Um, you know, one thing that I'm a little disappointed is that, you know, uh, every year you kind of wonder uh, when you cover Aldridge, is, is he going to add the three-point shot to his game? And pretty much, you know, as we've seen in preseason, he'll take maybe one shot in the first quarter, a spot up, pick and pop three, and that's about it. I mean, he's going to continue living in his comfortable 15 to 18-foot range. And, I mean, the shot goes in. I mean, you're reading these numbers to me, and, and it makes sense. I mean, a lot of times he does have a hand in his face, especially on his post-ups, his, his, his uh, leaner over-the-shoulder kind of post-ups. He's making those a lot of the times. And so right now, I mean – the only way I would see some sort of big regression is if, uh, if again, like DeJounte is, wants to do a little bit more on offense and, and also there's, they're just not able to find that balance where he ends up becoming a third-tier guy or, or second-tier guy, then I could possibly see some regression. Uh, as far as defensively, I mean, they still need him out on the floor. He's, he's still a really good underrated rim protector and just kind of good about being in the right place at the right time is, is where he's fitted with, with, with Coach Pop as his coach. Uh, and, and sort of to the- – uh, another point on Aldridge, or question rather, what do you think is going to end up being the the front court four or five combination that the Spurs lean on most? Uh, that might just be my roundabout way of saying, are we going to see more of uh, Jakob Pertl and Aldridge together than than I initially thought we were? Or do you think it's very clearly going to be once again Aldridge will end up logging a lion's share of his time at the five, and then if that is the case, uh, who are you looking to see logs the most minutes at the four? Is it maybe a, a Trey Lyles or a Rudy Gay or, or Damari Carroll or, or someone else? Yeah, right now it definitely looks like it's going to be what the Spurs ended the season with against Denver, which is going to be Jakob Perto and LaMarcus. Uh, you know, it's 
it's part uh, defensively. I think Pop likes Pirtle out there on defense. He likes just having size, you know, LaMarcus and Pirtle in, out there just protecting the rim. The Spurs, their defense, their primary concern, first of all, first and foremost, is going to be to take away the rim and the free throw line before, you know, giving up threes and, and, and mid-range shots. So so I think having those two guys there helps them in that in that, in that fashion. Uh, and then um, the only and, – and we've already seen the preseason. Pop's very comfortable just get, putting those two guys out there. He started most of the games with Aldridge and Pirtle. The only times that he's going to go small to start a game is going to be when they play somebody like Houston who's going to start like P.J. Tucker at the four. Well, then Pop's going to throw throw in – um you know, last night it was Trey Lyles. But at the, in those cases, he's probably going to start Rudy Gay. So, uh, you know, that's going to be the, the, the tricky part is, you know – how how does Rudy Gay find minutes? Uh, get a, get a good consistent uh, load of minutes. Then also Demari Carroll, who they gave um I think was seven to to eight million dollars this season to come play in San Antonio, and, and Demari you know plays pretty much a four at this point, and he plays he's been playing a lot of four with the Spurs already in preseason, and so uh, I don't even see Lyles honestly in, in the in the rotation. I I just don't see Trey Lyles there. Uh, so so I really think it's going to be on Rudy Gay to either have to come off the bench or if they're playing a small team, will then um. Rudy will play next to Aldridge, and a lot of it too. Though, if if you listen to Aldridge's comments, it's constantly just that he he's still he's he's almost like uh, I've heard people talk about Anthony Davis. Sort of like they almost think that he, he and Davis still think that they're like fives. I mean, they're still fours. They don't want to play the five. They want to play next to a traditional center. So I think also that part of it is also the reluctance on Aldridge, where he if he had his way, he'd still want to be a four more so than a five these days. I think normally, and certainly if this was last year, even over the summer, I'd provide more pushback to the Spurs' logic there and just say. How is that going to work offensively? And last year, uh, Pirtle and Aldridge played almost 650 possessions together outside of garbage time, and the Spurs' offensive rating uh, ranked in the 12th percentile during those minutes. And so it's definitely still a concern I have, but also the Spurs aren't uh, these superheroes of spacing to begin with, or at least shoot, uh, they're not going to shoot a ton of threes anyway, and they still had a top five offense last year. At the same time, I thought looking at their dalliance with Marcus Morris, and then kind of them even signing Carroll. I honestly thought that this might be the, and bringing back Gay, I thought that this might be the year where they they lean into Aldridge at the five with a small ball four even uh, more often. And it, I, you also look at the roster and it's, he's really there. If you want to call Pirtle their, their, their center, he Aldridge almost has to be their, their backup center. Uh, they don't have like a ton of traditional bigs. So it, that that logic is just, it still confuses me a little bit. Yeah, no, no, and I, honestly, like when when they had that commitment from uh, Marcus Morris, and I was actually wondering too, you know, how is this going to work? You know, is Rudy going to lose a lot of minutes here? Because um, you know, it's different. It's weird how like Morris automatically, you just know he's going to be a rotation player who's going to get consistent minutes, guaranteed minutes. Whereas as Lyles, you, you already know, you know, he's going to have to earn that kind of spot. So there was a definitely a different mindset. And so I think that had Morris come or, or sign with Santoro, then possibly Lamarcus plays more five, and then that way Morris starts at the four or, or Rudy Gay. But because of the situation. Um, you know, I definitely see Rudy. It's it's almost like Pop's lineup right now is to have uh, start with Jakob and, and Aldridge. Then uh, when when Jakob goes out and Rudy comes in, well, then Aldridge does shift to the five for a little bit. And then he brings and then Pop will bring back in Jakob to replace Aldridge. So he doesn't really go with the, outside of Jakob and Aldridge. They're, they're kind of their, their de facto um, fives these days. I asked you this over the offseason. I'm going to ask it again after he's played in four preseason games. Uh Will Lonnie Walker have a role on this team this season? Because it still feels like he's really going through the motions on the the offensive end. So I would have said no. I mean, I would have said, you know, it'd be a long shot for him to get a role right now. Um, you know, before last night's game against Houston. 
because, I mean, really, when you look at the numbers, Marco Bellinelli had been still consistently uh, getting ahead of him in the rotation. And that's kind of where this battle was for Lonnie to get any kind of minutes. He has to basically take him from Marco Bellinelli. And so we know that he's not going to have the, the volume of three-point shooting that Marco can, can have um, on offense. So I think that his biggest area to make an impression on Pop and the coaching staff is on defense. And that's an area where last night against Houston, I know Harden overall went for 40 points is, you know, on the box score. But there was a lot of good possessions from, from, from Lonnie where you saw defensively uh, he, he, would, he would defend Harden and at least you know, contest him more than any other Spurs guard outside of Murray can. And, and, and your mindset completely changes when you see uh, DeJounte, Lonnie out there. And then you see that they're guarding the two best offensive players on Houston. They're guarding Russ and Harden. And you can, if you're the Spurs, you can finally put Bryn Forbes on the on the um, the third wing player who's not that good on offense. And so usually when the Spurs play and they start games, Bryn Forbes usually has to, has to guard the second best offensive player. And it's just by default because DeRozan's not a good defender. So Lonnie showed that you know this team looks a lot more athletic. They're a lot better defensively just with his speed. I mean, even if he's out of even if, even if he might gamble a little bit too much at times. Um, just his athleticism and speed, they could they could probably um, you know really work on it defensively and become improve there. The question is, you know, is, is that enough to 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 um, impress the coaching staff? His defensive performances when he's out there, and like you mentioned, Dan, on offense, he is kind of lost. He doesn't take that qual- that good quality of shots. He he's actually a guy who likes the mid range a lot as well. But last night he did shoot some quarter threes and stuff. So so it's going to come down to can can he uh, impress so much on D that Pop has to play him rather than going back to Marco. I, I will say if his effort on defense is consistent, I would kill to see a lineup that has him, Murray, and Derek White in at the same time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that would be very that would be very interesting to watch. Uh, this kind of steps on the toes of that too, and we we briefly touched upon it with Derek White. But are you comfortable with him handling even more playmaking responsibility off the bench now? And then the the larger question: How do you feel about this team's bench last year? Because that was a huge part of their success. People like to point to how the Spurs were statistically scored more points per 100 possessions without DeRozan on the court. That's, you know, you could say whether that's problematic or not, but their bench was just so damn good. It had the fourth highest point differential per 100 possessions in the league last year. You lose Davis Bertans, but you still have a bunch of these interesting guys, including Derek White moving back to the second unit. How do you feel about that kind of setup this year relative to last? So I, you know, this is going to be really interesting for Derek because he's actually better when he's playing in a slower offense where it's more half court type, where he can kind of get a good, decent big who can either pick and pop or slash to the rim and run a lot of pick and roll, and that's kind of what that starting unit had with him last year, and that's why he and Aldridge were so good together as a starting unit. See now with the Spurs bench unit though, their their goal is to, to speed up tempo, to do a lot of drive and kick action, a lot of ball movement, a lot of screening action, and because they have pretty much all of them are shooters, you got Patty Mills, you got Marco Bellinelli. Uh, like you mentioned last year, they had Davis Bertans, which which they're hoping that Demari Carroll can be that kind of player. Uh, so so I mean, Derek's an interesting case is that he has to keep this this bench unit staying efficient, staying um you know staying aggressive. And I'm not sure because that's not actually his style. He's actually built better to be a starter more so than playing with this with the Spurs' traditional second unit that's a lot faster and a lot quicker in their tempo. So I'm actually interested to see how, how well Derek is going to adapt to this role. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, he hasn't looked that that good in the preseason in terms of uh, playing that being that six man. And it's a little bit tougher when when that whole unit is just better with 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 how they play, and it doesn't really match Derek's current style. Could you see the Spurs at all making a shift during the regular season, or would it be that uh, DeRozan? Well, and DeRozan, DeRozan's entrenched in the starting lineup, but there wouldn't be a point where they might consider uh, flip flopping Murray and White. No, I just don't think they can do that. Just because M- Murray's—I mean, right now, I mean, even though Murray may not be a uh, 
you know, offensively so questionable in terms of, you know, can he, can he, can he do what Derek does on, on Derek's best night? But uh, Murray's defensive capabilities and his just, his just impact is just so much greater than, than what White can do. And, uh, and, and like I said, I mean, he could just blow up certain plays on, just by himself at times. And so I just really think that you're, you're going to continue to see Murray as their, as their next guy and as their guy who, who they want to eventually, you know, be, take the mantle is, is, what I'm, is what I'm thinking. With something about uh, the Spurs entering this season to wrap up our sexy six that you think's not getting enough shine, or maybe it's just something that you're interested in watching or monitoring that you don't think is being talked about enough leading into the regular season. You know, I think I think we've we've talked. To, I mean, I mentioned his name a lot, but I think it's it is Murray. Like he can. I mean, at, when he sh- like last night, I, I know it's preseason again. He had 20 points, eight of 11 shooting. Like he just needs those opportunities, and and, and it's going to be tough to watch. I'm, I'm interested to see d- does that happen. You know, how much of a struggle is there between he he getting, I mean, himself getting all those kind of possessions to, to run the offense, and you still got DeRozan next to him, and then you still got Aldridge and Uzi who needs his shots in the post. So I really feel like. In a way, it's it's going to be a juggling of of can the Spurs get the best out of Murray to allow him to grow and, and to become a playmaker and really try to to go to another level while still having to, to get Aldridge and DeRozan their looks and their type of um, creation in the offense. So that's kind of where I'm interested in, in terms of uh, uh you know how how good can Murray be? And if it, there's also kind of a quandary there, a solution might be you can stagger the minutes uh, as the game goes on. But if you're talking about the bench wanting to play faster, you can't really. Uh, you know, that's not DeMar DeRozan's game either. So like giving him minutes with heavier bench lineups doesn't really solve that problem. And so do you think that we're going to see some more heavy staggering or do you think they're going to be Murray and DeRozan specifically are going to be pretty closely aligned in terms of their minutes? No, no, I, I think we're definitely going to see some staggering just because again, like, like I mentioned, you know, they're both, they're both showing that they they can be capable um, pick and roll players. They like to play that way or, you know, or go one-on-one at times. And so I think that Pop needs to figure out the way to, to use the offense that way to where DeRozan's getting possessions to, to run the team. Then you get Murray some possessions as well from the outside. Uh, and there was some of that going on last year too with Derek White where Derek was starting to come into his own offensively. And whenever DeRozan was there with him, it, it would be a kind of a struggle. So Pop would stagger them at different times. So, so I think that we're definitely going to see that. But again, the problem there is that both of those guys don't quite fit with the bench unit, uh, with the second unit, because their style of play. It's good that you have more shooters in the second unit, but those guys are more so built for that faster tempo. Murray, um, DeRozan, and Aldridge are all like more half-court type players. Are you ready to tackle some quick hitters? Yeah. Will this Spurs team grade out higher on the offensive end or the defensive end going by points per possession? Okay, so... Man, um... I don't like what I've seen so far. So this is a tough one for me. I was, I was trying to think about this because I know you said it earlier. Um, it's all of a sudden tough when you have right Murray now, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Because like, you know, you want to say that Murray's this 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 just going to bring down defense to level another level. However, he's still playing with a lot of minuses on defense. He's got DeRozan next to him. He's got Forbes. You know, he's got Mills off the bench, Bellinelli. So right now, I'm going to go with the offensive part, even though I know it's it's interesting because we don't know if Murray's shooting is is this real, even though it looks really good in preseason. Uh, I'm going to go with the offense. I think they're still going to figure out, even if it's an ugly mid-range style, they're going to at least take efficient mid-range shots. So I'm going to stick with the offense, even though I think that they could be better defensively. I, I'm going to go with you too as well, just because they were fifth in uh, points score per yeah. possessions last year. That's like, uh, I don't think people realize they focused on their shot profile and that the Spurs were fifth in offensive rating, which is crazy. Uh, who would be uh, your best breakout candidate for this roster? And you could define breakout however you want. Uh, I'd still go with, um, 
I, I think I think I'm still gonna go with Murray. And so from my definition of breakout is it's who ends up becoming like their their go-to guy kind of thing. And I think he's gonna end up becoming like se- the second one in that lineup. Where maybe it's either still gonna be the first option, it's still gonna be DeRozan or Aldridge. But I think that their second like guy that they really need to lean on every single night, who's gonna who can take them to another level, is gonna be Murray. Looking at the seven major awards, who is their strongest year-end award candidate? Um. Okay. This one's. Let's see. Uh player no, not, not um shoot I, I have to go most improved i guess and again may i know it's a safe pick here but murray again you know maybe because he's come back from the injury people are impressed maybe he has a really good season or you know what i'll go i'm okay no i'm gonna change this i'm gonna go Bryn forbes maybe as most improved maybe Ugh, i don't know honestly murray or Bryn forbes i'm not too sure because forbes is look really good and i think he can have like a not a breakout year but a, but a really good year where like people he might be um you know one of the better role players that teams are gonna look for this summer when he's a free agent i think the default pick could be greg popovich coach of the year because we're entering another season where people expect the spurs to be on the fringes of the playoff discussion i'd be curious though if Mur- if not Murray, if, if White's going to spend the entire season or most of it coming off the bench, could you see a path to him winning six man of the year? No, and I, 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 he was my first choice earlier before when you sent me these questions. The reason why is because again, I, I just don't his, his you got to you know you still got to put up some numbers, and and that's kind of where he doesn't do it, especially scoring wise. He's not an aggressive scorer. And we know that he has that potential because we saw it against Denver last year when he had like 36, I think, in a playoff game. And and so he just – it's just like every night it's almost like you got to push him to light that fire in him to drive to the rim, and, and he just doesn't do it night to night. So that's why I couldn't see him putting up the kind of resume that you need to be the sixth man of the year. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. They, that award definitely tends to trend toward uh, volume scores. Is there an offbeat lineup from this team that you're dying to see entering the regular season? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned part of it earlier. I want to see, you know, DeJounte, Derek White, Lonnie Walker. And then, um, you know, I don't know who the last two guys could be. Maybe like um, Rudy Gay and Aldridge, just line up like that. Or Carroll and Aldridge. Just a really good athletic-type, defensive-type lineup that that's really can, can go in all sorts of different directions and switch and, and also, you know, dr- dr- drive and kick and those kind of things. So, yeah, I, I really it really comes out of that backcourt. I want to see Murray and White together and see what they can do for, for a good um, sample size of possessions. I like that one. Mine would be, and they actually, they rolled out a version of it uh, towards the end of the Rockets game. Uh, it was Aldridge, Carroll, Walker, White, and, oh man, who, why am I blanking on it? I can't remember who it was. Patty Mills, maybe? No. no, why am I, why am I all of a sudden blanking on this? It's annoying me. It wasn't, oh, the it was Derek White, Marcus Aldridge, um, Damari Carroll, it had Lonnie Walker. Oh, and Marco Bellinelli. Oof, that took, I want to see. Oh yeah, I want to see that lineup. But I would be very intrigued to see um, you pull Lonnie Walker and put Murray in with that unit. And so it's. It, I understand that then you have DeRozan on the bench. Still, that that would be a unit that would intrigue me just because you are playing a little bit smaller at the four with Aldridge at center, and then to have both Murray and White in your backcourt with with Bellinelli as as the as a shooter, and you would hope that maybe Carroll can hit. Um, close to league average this year, if not above, that would just be a five-man combination that intrigues me. Mm, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Um, this feels like a dumb question to ask about the Spurs, but who would be the player most likely to be traded midseason? So it's actually kind of interesting this year because of the situation they're in. I, I would actually think if, if it comes down to that, I think DeRozan's the name just because, again – he can become an, an unrestricted free agent this summer if he um, declines his player option. I know that there was some talk uh, by, by Sham Sharania just a few weeks ago that they were at least opening up discussions toward, toward an extension to Rosen. 
But, I mean, again, if there's signs here coming up to February that he's not going to sign that extension and that he's possibly thinking about becoming an unrestricted free agent and possibly, you know, testing the free agent market this summer, then I think that they got to look at getting something for him now. And also, just because of what I've seen from the style of play is that, again, there's going to be that 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 juggling of, of, of how can they unleash DeJounte, who's going to be their future, to, to become the, the best DeJounte that he can be if they still have Aldridge and, 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 um, and DeRozan there every night. So, I mean, if there's one guy you can kind of get rid of at this moment – uh, and, and because of the situation where he can become an unrestricted free agent this summer, I think he might be the name. But like you said, Dan, I think that they're going to be very conservative with it because, again, uh, the, the new GM, Brian Wright, he's kind of taking over the keys from R.C. Buford. So now he's actually the GM. So I don't know if he would make that drastic of a change uh, this in his first year, year one on the job of, of going to the, to the extreme of actually trading a player on the roster outside of being like a minor roster move like for a role player. So I don't even know if, it, if, it, if that would ever happen, though, just because of the circumstances they're in. It would be quite the divergence if the Spurs go from just making no midseason trades, basically, uh, to a blockbuster one like that in the middle of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you think they're going to land in the Western Conference, be it if you have a specific seed or, or a range of seeds? So before watching Dallas and New Orleans in preseason, I had said six to eight seed was pretty much my, my comfortability with the Spurs. I thought, you know, over between 48 and 51 wins, like at best. So, so somewhere in, in that range, 48 to 51 wins. And six to eight seed. But now that I've seen New Orleans and Dallas, I'm like, man, they got to play those teams four times. They each got to play each other, should I say? It's going to be an interesting season. If those if those teams, if, it, if it's real, like especially how good Zion is, if he's that efficient and that good at, at you know, you know, for, for New Orleans full time this season, he stays healthy. I mean, New Orleans really looks good, especially with all the talent they have. And then also Dallas, I mean, with Porzingis and, 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 and Doncic. So, you know, I'm not as as you know. Before the preseason, I was very much pretty much just locked in Spurs six to eight seed. But now, after watching those two teams, it wouldn't shock me if they end, you know if they if they're struggling there to get in or if they just don't make it. I, I think that's definitely valid, and uh, the Pelicans are a team that just seems like we need to be on the lookout for. I also just kind of I'm not as high on the Mavericks in general as everyone else. I may look stupid by the end of the season. Who knows? I'm just also wondering if there's for both the Mavericks and the Pelicans just because they're most key players are so young if there's now this rush to kind of uh, coordinate them as, as teams are going to be good right away. And maybe it's taking a little bit, it'll take them a little bit more time to figure it out, get through an entire regular season together than we expected, which would then benefit a team like the Spurs or a team like the the Blazers, those, those squads that a lot of people think might uh, be victims of the, the Western Western Conference's brutal playoff race this year. Hmm. Uh, bold prediction for the Spurs this year to wrap it up. Uh, I mean, it's not, uh, so, uh, I don't, this one, I don't really have a huge vote. I mean, like I said, I think they go six to eight seed, probably losing round one again. I mean, if, if they can, okay, uh, this will be my bold prediction. If they can avoid the Lakers or Clippers in the playoffs in round one, I, I think that they'll, um, they'll advance to round two and then lose to one of those two teams. If they can, so again, if they don't draw the Lakers or Clippers, my bold prediction will be that they win round one and then lose in round two. I like it going from predicting there's a chance they could miss the playoffs to predicting that they will win. The <laughs> um, Paul, thank you so much for this. As per usual, I always enjoy talking Spurs hoops with you. If you guys are not following Paul on Twitter, Remedy that post haste at Paul Garcia, NBA. Uh, he's an NBA writer for Project Spurs and host of the Spurs Cast podcast. Thanks once again, Paul, and I'm sure I'll be pestering you once more down the line. All good, man. Th- thanks, Dan. It's always fun talking to you, man. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. 
No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Hardwood Knox listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customers. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com, and enter promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Time to talk some Dallas Mavericks and their future and their general outlook with Isaac Harris, writer for Mavs.com and co-host of the Locked on Mavs podcast. Follow him on Twitter. You need to, if you're not already, at Isaac L. Harris. That's at I-S-A-A-C-L-H-R-R-I-S. Check out his work at Mavs.com and definitely subscribe to the Locked on Mavs podcast. Isaac, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. Uh, the Mavericks just played the Clippers last night up in Vancouver and uh, had a pretty convincing win. It's super fun. Uh, the buzz around Dallas right now, around this young team and Luca's second year, and obviously Porzingis is here. And it's just, it's a whole different type of feel around this Dallas Mavericks team. I wrote this story on Media Day and about how they're they're like a family. There are, there's so many of them around the same age. You only have really JJ Barea is kind of the the old head on the roster now with Dirk gone, and even some of the vets like Wesley Matthews, Harrison Barnes, DeAndre Jordan. Like, all those guys are gone now. So you have this super young team. You have this young duo. The really the buzz around the city, the city, the energy around the fan base. It's different than the past three or four years, and it's super exciting. Expectations are there this year. Uh, but it should be a super fun season. And now we kind of wait for this home opener uh, coming up Wednesday night, next Wednesday night against the Washington Wizards. Yeah, they're the, the Mavericks right now, because of the level of talent at the top with just Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, where you can see Doncic being a, a top 15 player this season. And Porzingis, if he's at full strength and everything goes according to plan, being top 25, they have this immediate high ceiling. But then they're also a little bit tougher to project to, for me, at least in the general discussion, because I'm, there's always this push and pull for me. Are we crowning young teams or expecting younger stars um, to do too much too soon? Like where everyone coordinated the, the Boston Celtics, where, you know, they're almost a nice parallel in both cases because Gordon Hayward coming back from injury last year and you have some young players, none of whom are at the level of Luka Doncic, it seems right now. So, for me personally, it's been tough to when you're looking at their over/under. When you're trying to see, do they have a chance of getting in the Western Conference playoff picture? They're just a, a polarizing team, an interesting team. There's so much optimism about their future, but in the immediate moment, to me, they're just so difficult to project. They are, and Nick, my co-host at Lockdown Mavericks, he he threw out this question the other day, and he said, "What is what are some of the teams across the league that have the highest ceilings but a low floor too?" And that they're basically the hardest teams to to project this season. And we both said, like, Dallas is one of those. Because, yeah, I mean, there is 
no matter how much we are hyped up about this Christoph Sporzingis uh, experiment in Dallas and him signing long-term and all this stuff, he hasn't played in 20 months. I mean, he just right. played four preseason games, and uh, we have high hopes for it and everything. But And this, there's question marks around the supporting cast. And it, do they need a third guy? Will a couple of these guys combine together to be that third guy? So there, But if it does hit then we've seen what some power of uh, good duos in a league can do. We've seen what Dame and, and CJ can, uh, how they lifted that Portland team these past years and had them at the top of the Western Conference or near the top. Can can KP and Luka do that? We don't know. So it, I, I'm there with you. Even though I talk about the Mavericks every single day, I'm right there with you. It, it is hard to predict, predict, even though I think they will make a playoff push. Well, that makes me feel better as someone who's like 80 steps removed from, from the team. Uh, Porzingis is a good place to start as we get into just our sexy six bullets for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I'm not, I, I didn't watch the Mavs Clippers game and I was actually uh, coming up with the outline during it. And it, from the highlights I've seen, and even just in general during, from what I've actually seen in the Mavericks preseason, he seems to be moving fairly well. And you can tell that the shot is going to come. I don't know whether people, if, if you're not convinced he's going to be, you know, a 38, 40% three-point shooter, that's fine. But you can kind of throw his, to me, preseason percentages out the window because I think he'll eventually at least normalize to where he was by the end of his time in New York or at, at least a little earlier from that. Uh, what have you noticed from him, though, during the preseason? Is that spot on for his offense? Have you noticed anything maybe about his, his defensive mobility, how that's coming along during the four appearances that he's made? Yeah, offensively, he's still adjusting to the system. You know, this is a whole different type of feel for him in Dallas than what he was used to in New York. Uh, he said on media day, Luka Doncic is the best player that I've ever played with. Um, shots at Carmelo, maybe, but, uh, definitely no, shots it, at Derek Rose, <laughs> <laughs> Derek Rose. Yes, for sure. Jared Jack, watch out Jared Jack. Uh, but no, it, it's a different type of field. The other night uh, after uh, the game in Dallas against the Milwaukee Bucks, he talked about it and he talked to us about it uh, after the in the locker room after the game and he said I'm not used to this I'm not used to sh shooting three after three after three because these first couple preseason games it was just pick and pop pick and pop pick and pop it was just happening all the time and how can they incorporate him on the post get him some mid-range shots and I, I said right after that game I said I guarantee you the first game after this they're going to get him going underneath and sure enough very first play of the game they do this design play he pins this defender down he shoots right over the top of him from about 10 feet out and that's they're they're working out those wrinkles with him offensively to where he's not just going to be a pick and pop guy but the three will always be there he can shoot the lights out. He shot 40% from three his last year there, the all-star season where he tore his ACL there in New York. He can hit the three. His shot looks absolutely gorgeous. And uh, the shot will always be there. It's just how can they incorporate him offensively inside the balance of that to get him rolling on some of these pick and rolls instead of just popping with Luka. So that will be fun. Defensively, I, I, he'll be just fine. I, the position stuff in Dallas is something to watch because – Right now, they're committed to him being the four, and but on defense, being the five. So I, when Dwight Powell comes back, I, we expect him to be the starter. But Dwight will will be that five rolling man type of role in uh, on offense because that's what Rick Carlisle loves. That's what Rick Carlisle does with his centers. He said, "Hey, you're going to roll to the rim. That's your role, and that's what Dwight Powell's good at. One of yeah, the only things he's really good at." So. Um, <laughs> 
but but Porzingis, yeah, it, defensively he's going to guard some of the bigger guys uh, at the five spot, and he'll be just fine defensively. I, if there is a worry or just a question mark, we got to see these wrinkles ironed out, ironed out uh, offensively, and what exactly that role looks like. It does seem at least I'm actually surprised that you're more more concerned about the offense because even from the uh, the the viral highlight that went wild uh, against the Clippers where he had two blocks in the same possession then was down at the other end scoring. It just seems like his, I know he's never been like the quickest reactor around the rim, but it still seems like he's just moving a little slower there. And on offense, I would have thought, and clearly I'm wrong, that the transition might be a little bit easier because when it comes down to it, if it wasn't working out where you're trying to just put in these little deviations from the pick and pop, that you could always just rely on it because he, you know, for someone who, needed to be featured in that last season in or the season that he was actually playing in New York. Uh, he was used to working without the ball or only working on these these one this one dribble stuff. I think it was like 80% of his looks came on one dribble or less with the Knicks when they had nobody else. Like there was nobody else. And so yeah. I'm actually a little bit surprised that the the offense uh, not not the statistics obviously, but that just the offensive fit and feel is is taking a little while for him to find offense team wise not worried about I think that'd be I think that's great uh, it's just I think what they're going to ask of him defensively will be stuff that he's used to uh, it's just it's a little bit different um here in Dallas playing with Luca than than playing in New York with Jarrett Jack and it's just it's just something he's got to get you he's used to this is Luca's team too this is not to go down the whole ego route and everything but when he came into New York, it was it was Melo's team, but we all knew that Melo, his time there was going to come to an end, and it, it was just all Porzingis. That was it was his franchise, his team. He was a face of it. He comes into Dallas, and this is Lucas' team. It is clearly Lucas' team. So Lucas going to be running the show. He's the Robin to Lucas Batman. So he we gotta figure out how they're going to work together offensively to where he's not just a pick and pop guy, even though he could do that incredible. Luka Doncic, I spent some time trying to figure out what a leap from him or what a, a reasonable second-year expectation or second-year improvement would be. And is it dumb to only come up with it's basically everything of the same last mm. year, at least on offense, but he's just doing it, I don't even know if you want to say more efficiently, but just more efficiently throughout the season, where it's about stamina and maintenance with him. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot was made over the offseason of – what is Luca going to look like as far as in shape? Uh, what's his conditioning going to look like? What's his body going to look like coming into camp? Uh, he did shed some pounds. He didn't say exactly. Uh, there were some grumblings around the classic 15 to 20 pounds, you know, that we all hear. <laughs> um, when I think he gave it to Porzingis because Porzingis uh, beefed up a lot over the summer. But uh, but no, for Luca, you know, you know, a lot of it, yeah, it, it's what is this going to look like post All-Star break? what's his conditioning and stamina and everything will look like then whenever he's been going all out for the first, you know, three quarters of the season. And so that's what, that's the biggest kind of talk uh, around Luca right now is yeah. What, what's his conditioning stuff look like, but it, it's kind of what you said. It, all the stuff he did, I mean, last year he averaged 21 points, six assists, seven boards. I know I'm just going with basic stats here, but not very many people in the league did that at all. And it's just and, the way he was like, I mean, he's probably, I don't want to say one of the best five because I could rattle off, but he's probably one of the 10 best passers in the game right yes. now. He hit more step backs than anyone except for uh, step back threes than anyone except for, for James Harden. There was even, I mean, on the, the very few post-ups that he had, he even just showed some nice craft there 
too. And so I don't know that you could, there's, it doesn't feel like there's anything for him to add other than, again, making it through the whole season playing like he was before the All-Star break. Exactly. And, you know, and after the All-Star break last year, a lot of his shooting percentages went down because he just had to have the ball in his hands and he had to hoist up shots all the time because they traded four of the starters with Barnes and Wes and DeAndre and Dennis Smith Jr. They traded all of those guys at the, you know, near the All-Star break last year. So percentages went down. But I, if we have to land on one stat, his free throw percentage has to get better. Last year, he averaged a little six and a half uh, free throws a game. He shot 71% from the free throw line. He knows he's talked about that. He knows he can be better at that. Uh, this preseason, he sh- he's attempted o- over 10 free throws in a couple of these preseason games. That's huge for him. When you look at some of these best, the best scores in the league, they all average a ton of free throws. And I think Luke is going to be there this year. But if he's going to get them, he has to hit them at a high clip. So a lot of us were really pushing, like, come on, Luca is too good of a shooter. Uh, he, let's try to get him near that 80% mark this year, uh, get him bumped up on that. But if we're, I don't want to go down this route completely, but when we're looking at his scoring, where he averaged 21 points a game last year, that's going to go up. He's going to have more opportunities to score this year with them spacing the floor and everything. We, I threw out this looking at LeBron going from year one to year two. I don't want to do the comparison thing, but when LeBron, his rookie season, just looking at those basic stats, when he LeBron averaged that 21, 6, and 5, and then he bumped his scoring up to 27. And can Luka... That's one of our biggest question marks. Can Luca have that big of a jump in scoring? And that we'll see. And if he does that, does that mean Dallas is in that playoff picture? Does that mean Luca is in this all-star discussion? Does that mean he is a top 15 player? So that's just something that when we're looking at different stat lines or players to try to compare it to, that's a, that LeBron year two stat line. It's something that I keep looking back at. I'm like, I wonder how close Luca can get to that this year. It doesn't seem unreachable. I'll say that much. Uh, and thinking of LeBron as clearly the last sophomore player who was probably top, he was probably top 10, but top 15 in his sophomore season. I don't know who we'd name before that that made it to that level. And uh, Doncic, even as star packed as the NBA is right now, feels like he has that type of a ceiling immediately. Not, you know, let's wait another year or two. Yeah, and and also position-wise, even though I mentioned this about Porzingis too, Luka Doncic is the starting point guard for the Dallas Mavericks. Rick Carlisle said that very, very clear to people at Media Day. Normally, he doesn't really get into positions. He's like, hey, they're basketball players. I just throw people out there. He doesn't like that talk. But he made it very clear on Media Day. He said, Luka Doncic is our point guard. He's our starting point guard. So how we want to talk about positions or is Delon Wright a shooting guard and uh you know how we want to like talk about all that I don't know but he made it very clear that Luca is the point guard Porzingis is the four especially when it comes to offense so I don't know look That's, p- positionality yeah. is just sh- so obscure now and it is you know I do an annual BR top 100 players entering the year that's gonna drop very soon but they have me do positions first and it's just super tough now I almost I don't like, I understand their uh, conversational value, but I actually don't like doing them because I put Luca with small forwards just because he does start with smaller guards. And then I'm of the mind that your uh, position is what you defend. Um, but still, mm. when you look at it, it's, it, it really needs to be separated into like, there are probably like all these like primary playmakers. It's, I don't think that was ever a doubt that he's 
to Dallas's point man on offense. It just get it gets really hard when you get into the the nitty gritty details of positionality these days. It's the same thing with Kristaps. He's going to be defending fives, but they're going to treat him like more of a four on offense because you have Dwight Powell who can make those rim rolls, and that's never really been Porzingis's game. Exactly. It all depends on how you defend a position, and everybody has a different definition of that. Uh, the third thing I'm really interested in with this team, and maybe morbidly so. How big of a question mark is their wing rotation? Doncic is obviously just the business, and sort of as you alluded to, if he hits his peak this year, and if Porzingis hits his reasonable apex this year, you would kind of think that the Mavericks would then be in the Western Conference playoffs conversation, but one, the West is brutal, and then behind those two, uh, the, the wing rotation is just, mm. I, I, it's a wild card to me. You, you don't have anyone really with a guaranteed two-way impact unless you want to count Dorian Finney-Smith, which which is fine, uh, but he does seem to tilt more towards defense. Tim Hardaway Jr. is more offense first, and that's, you know, also being generous with his classification. Yes. C- Courtney Lee's old. I have zero feel for Justin Jackson. He seems like he could just be a fine defender, stay in front of a lot of people you don't think he can stay in front of, and then he does stuff on offense. Sometimes with the ball, that confuses me because it's like, oh, he can do that, and then his threes are falling, but they're never falling in volume, and then they don't fall. Is that a, a viable concern with this team, that secondary wing rotation behind Luka? Yeah, it, you bring, it's funny you bring this up because if you peruse Mavs Twitter or Mavs Reddit uh, over the past month, one of the, the hottest topics, the biggest debate is who's the fifth starter? Because you know, KP and Luca are obviously starting. They signed DeLon Wright. They've been pretty open that, hey, we signed DeLon Wright to be our starter. We like his defense alongside Luca. And then they love Dwight Powell and his rim rolling presence at the center position. He fits that role. So those are four guys that we all assume that's locked in as these starters. So who's the fifth guy? And every every reasoning that you just said is the same thing we've all been talking about uh, for the past month or two. You have this streakiness of Tim Hardaway Jr. He's getting paid the most, $20 million this year. It's crazy. Um, so <clears throat> that's what I kind of leaned. I'm like, I think since they're paying at 20, they'll probably just start him. Uh, but there's a lot of people who think Justin Jackson's going to get that spot. Um, when they made the Harrison Barnes trade, a lot of people just writ- wrote that off of saying, hey, they're just shedding Harrison's money. And I, I get that. And I, I think a large portion of of that trade to Sacramento was to open up that max slot this past summer. But I do know for a fact they do love Justin Jackson and that they made a point to get him in that trade. They like him a lot. And so we'll see how they can use him with that. But I lean towards, if I have to pick one of these guys, I do lean towards Dorian Finney-Smith because I like his defense. Defense is something... You're talking about um, the offensive struggle, or me talking about uh, you're surprising with uh, surprised with Porzingis stuff and offensive defense. I'm more worried about the team as a whole when it comes to defense because if Dorian's not out there defensively, then who's going to be guarding the best wing players in the league? And when we when you threw out all those names, I, I don't think I don't think Courtney Lee will even see the floor pretty much. I don't think he'll be in the rotation. So. When you throw out those guys, there's still even a question mark and a wild card of saying there's a chance none of those guys even start. You even look back to last night against the Clippers, Jalen Brunson started. Therefore, making DeLon Wright your three, they're comfortable with DeLon Wright guarding these threes in the league. The very first possession of the game, DeLon Wright's guarding Kawhi Leonard. So there's also a scenario in which the fifth starter isn't even any of those wings at all. It's Brunson, it's Seth Curry, it's one of those guys with DeLon Wright and and Luca. So it's 
what Rick called, he's been very clear of saying, hey, my starting lineups are going to be very fluid and they're going to be matchup based. And uh, we might not have a set starting unit in Dallas, but I just know that there's about five different people who could start. And I have the same question marks you do about the wing rotation because shooting on this team is one of my biggest worries because we need to surround Luca and KP with shooters. And right now they don't have a ton of them outside of Seth Curry. So who would you say is kind of the most important wing aside from from Doncic to this team? I know you mentioned Dorian Finney-Smith, but with the shooting, it's almost tempting to go with, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. because he has that high-variance offensive ceiling, but then Justin Jackson can actually defend, and if he's hitting his threes, maybe he becomes the most important one for them. I think it's the consistency of Dorian Finney-Smith's outside shot because I'm just in the camp that I want him defensively on the court. I want him because – there's too many good point guards across the league for DeLon Wright to be trying to take the threes and, and defensively. I, w- I would love to have a lineup in which Dorian is respectable from the three-point line. DeLon Wright is guarding the opposing point guards. Dorian Finney-Smith's guarding the opposing wing player. And then that gives you Luka, KP, and Dwight Powell filling that out. So uh, I think the most important thing for me is Dorian Finney-Smith's outside shot. Because the biggest debate is, which of these characteristics or which of these uh, skills is better? Dorian Finney-Smith's outside shot or Justin Jackson's defense? Because Justin Jackson's a better shooter and better uh, offensive player, but he's not the defender Dorian is. So right. that's the that's the debate among Mavs fans right now. And right now, I'd lean Dorian Finney-Smith. Probably a solid pick. I might tilt towards Justin Jackson, but you this team has enough. They don't. It's weird. They don't have enough shooting, but they clearly have enough offense when you look at Porzingis and Doncic. So that the argument for Dorian Finney-Smith is is insanely strong. Which, looking at the front court, which front court pairing are you more intrigued by, or do you think is going to be the, the most effective for the Mavs? Um, the the KP Kleba combination, or once uh, Dwight Howard, uh, Dwight Howard. Wow, you're lo- <laughs> Dwight, Oh man, don't Dwight, do that to us, Dan. Uh, he might be a free agent by the end of the season. Who knows what happens in Los Angeles? So uh, Dwight Powell, KP, once Powell's back from from that left hamstring strain. I thought this would be uh, like easy for me when I was thinking about it, but Dwight Powell at the end of last season, uh, if I remember, I, I, I remember he shot the lights out from three, but he was also just like doing more things off the dribble, and I know it was kind of a lost season at that point, but that's super intriguing to have, and yet it does seem like Kleba has the – less uh i've heard people with less gravity as a shooter even though he's a capable shooter and his percentages went up last year and then but on the flip side defensively he just feels like he moves his feet better and if you're gonna have to go up against a lot of fours i then wonder well then is he going to be the better fit alongside Kristaps porzingis what's your feel for kind of that situation yeah so two different questions you said most intriguing and most effective oh they're different I'm, <laughs> I'm the most intrigued by Maxi Kleba and and Christos Brzingis because I love Maxi I love what he brings I think he's uh kind of in one of those most underrated player type of things I love the deal that they got uh, him at this past summer as a restricted free agent so uh, that's the most intrigue uh, I am in that front court pairing, but I think the most effective will be Porzingis and, and Dwight. And mainly because, I've, I said this a little bit ago, Rick Carla is so defined on the roles on this team. Mm-hmm. And that's why he loves Dwight Powell at that five spot. That's why, and I, I was I was wanting Maxi Kleba to be to get five minutes last year so bad, but they just didn't put him there because 
they don't believe in him in him rolling to the rim. He's not the best rim roller, uh, but I trust it, I trust Maxie's outside shot more than Dwight, and I trust his defense more than Dwight. It's like you said, I think Maxie's a better perimeter defender than Dwight is, but because that's how it's going to match up on most nights. KP is going to be guarding the fives in most of these lineups, and it's going to leave Dwight Powell or Maxie and guarding these opposing fours. Uh, or, not to do the caveat again, but neither one of those guys could start, and they could start Dorian Finney-Smith at the four uh, because because Dor- uh, Rick Carlisle's mentioned that Dorian's going to get a lot of minutes at the four this year too. So uh, I think Dwight will be the starter. I think that will be pretty effective, but I'm the most intrigued about Maxie and KP pairing. Defensively, that could be um, – Tough to score over some nights. Yeah, that was going to be like my follow-up question to this is uh, how often we'll see the the Porzingis Dorian Finney Smith pairing. I think they started it once in the preseason, right? Or maybe there was a yes, a, they did. Yeah, so against I, Milwaukee with Giannis, uh, and so I guess that can be more matchup based. But do you think you know? Forget about starting, but just throughout the game, do you think that's something that becomes a model they they end up leaning on at all this season, or is it going to be a strictly matchup based option? No, I think it will. I think um, something I, I like to talk about more than the starting units is what's the finishing lineup. You know, that that's that's what I, I want to know. And I think if you're asking me to predict, I really think that these closing lineups will be Porzingis at the five. It, it kind of similar to what the Lakers might do in L.A. If, uh, I think, you know, A.D. will probably start at the four, but I think you'll see him close a lot of the games at the five with the Le- LeBron at the four. And so I think you can see a similar situation like that in Dallas uh, to where it's the end of games, they need Dorian on the on the court to guard the Kawhis of the world, and they'll have KP at the five. Sexy six question number five: Who's the most most important guard on this roster between Brunson, Delon Wright, Seth Curry, and Tim Hardaway Jr.? <sighs> I wrestled. Man, this question is very difficult because I'm gonna save my Brunson spill for a little bit later. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I freaking love that guy. And uh but I'm going to say most important you're looking at Seth Curry. And I say that because well, I go back and forth a lot, but I'll say Seth because he is the one marksman on this roster. And even though I don't think he will start, I think he will get a ton of minutes off the bench. And anytime you bring in a guy who shoots 45% uh, to play alongside Luka and KP, he's going to get open looks. And they desperately need him to stay that 40% three-point shooter. He's literally one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And uh, it's another one of those situations where I think he could be there uh, in some of these closing lineups because they just need his shooting. Uh, A lot of people were wondering, like, are they going to go out and make a move this you know this uh, season and try to bring in more shooting? Are they going to try to package a couple of these guys together? Because uh, when you look at it, you have just the shooters around these guys. Tim Hardaway Jr. is kind of streaky. Jackson, Dorian, kind of streaky. DeLon Wright, man, we're just hoping that he can even get close to that 36% that he shot uh, two years ago in Toronto because he shot like 25% um, in that stint with uh, Memphis uh, towards the end of the last season. So... That's uh, Seth Curry, most important guard. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Seth because they they need his shooting uh, really really bad. He he's always seemed I don't want to say he's a really good defender, but he's always kind of seemed a little underrated there too. Yes, where you've seen he's done fairly well against pick and rolls through throughout his career really, and then we saw uh, times in Portland there were just times throughout his career where he can be in these one on one situations versus point guards and not get absolutely slaughtered. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think you know 
people look at this in the Curry name and they just think, oh, okay, they can you know shoot the lights out, but they can't defend anything. I think both of them are uh, underrated as defenders, him and Steph. But yeah, I'm right. I mean, he's you're not going to put him on the best point guards and say, hey, lock him down. Uh, but he's also not a guy that opposing teams are just going to target every single time down the court because he's just horrible. So he's not that. Uh, I think he can hold his ground. And I think because of that, he can be out there to close some games. The final question of our sexy six, throwing it to you, is what's something about this team that's not getting enough shine, in your opinion, or that you might be monitoring going into the season that's not being talked about enough or might be flying under the radar? Yeah, I'll give you something uh, that's been kind of uh, a talk among media and uh, really the team ever since uh, the day one of training camp. So walked in at first, you know, first day of training camp, and we noticed on the practice court that there was tape on the floor. Uh, at the uh, around the three-point line and it goes out like three or four feet from the top of the key and it goes all the way around it's kind of like a secondary three-point line that connects uh, to the normal three-point line and you know do some digging around talking to people like okay well this hasn't been here the past couple of years and at the end of practice you know you see players on all four of the um, all four of the goals doing their shooting drills and doing these fun shooting competitions I'm sure you've seen like a lot of people Luca and KP are paired together a lot exchanging threes doing this fun three-point shootout and stuff but they're shooting them from this different line and I'm like what the crap is this and they have they're starting to incorporate this four point line basically in practices because they should have signed Joe Johnson then. Exactly. They should have (laughs) Detroit beat them to that, but they started doing these four point lines to where you're looking at this three point line at like 28, 29 feet out, out, and they're practicing these shots. And I say this because this team is going to chuck the three point shots. They are all in on shooting three pointers this year. They averaged 36 and a half threes last year. Uh, and uh, Nick and I on Lockdown Mavericks, we put a board bet on it. We do these board bets and say, all right, over, under, blah, blah, blah. And like, it, you cannot say over enough. They shot 50 or more three pointers in two out of the four preseason games uh, over the past you know, couple of weeks. They're going to shoot the shoot three pointers all day long and not just shoot them, but they're incorporating starting their offense from that far out from 28, 29 feet, not just being able to hit shots from out there, but running a pick and roll from out there. It gives you more space on the floor when when you can hit that shot. It's all about space that when you talk to people in the organization about this, about these new lines, these four point lines. Space, space, space. That's the number one they, they thing they throw out there because they're like, hey, if you can, if you can be a, a threat from 28, 29 feet, and you can shoot a tw- an open 28 footer, or you can shoot a contested 25 footer, all of a sudden now this argument that uh, Matt Morio and uh, and KD had the other day about mid range <laughs> and three point shots, now it they the Mavericks have kind of extended it out and said a normal three point shot or a 28, 29 foot three point shot. And, you know, it's like, do you want to take a contested three-pointer or do you want to take, you know, three three steps back and shoot an open three-pointer? That's what they're starting. They're incorporating in their practices. That's what they're incorporating into games. You saw one of Porzingis' first three-pointers in Detroit was dang near, near near the logo, but that's what they've been practicing. So I think you're going to see some of these bomb Lucas shots, some of these bomb KP shots, Seth Curry. You're going to see some of these shots because in once teams know that they're doing that, it's going to open up the lane and Lucas going to have all this room to work. So not that I expect people nationally to be talking about that or talking about Dallas and their three-point um, 
barrage that's about to come. But I'm just giving you a heads up. This is something that they have been working on. They're implementing. And I, I honestly think they're going to be like top five in three-point attempts this season because they're going to hoist them up. Well, there's value. to I, That's actually a really interesting thing to monitor to me because there's value not only in the volume, but in the distance that you're talking about. Because you look at what Brooke Lopez was able to do for Milwaukee, where that team had shooters. But Eric Bledsoe, Giannis Attentacumpo, guys who... Uh, are their primary ball handlers, they're, they're non-shooters. And so if you are worried about shooting on the wings for this team, the next best thing is to get the guys who can shoot, like Doncic and Porzingis, to fire them up from forever away. And then someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., who could shoot, but he's not a great shooter, that's going to open things up for him, um, If open things up for DeLon Wright, uh, make it easier for you know guys you don't trust off the dribble, but who could do straight line stuff like a Justin Jackson or a Dorian Finney-Smith, might make it easier for them to attack um, closeouts are just from beyond the arc. And if that volume thing then holds or really becomes a staple of their offense, that kind of opens new dimensions for them, or at least I would think inoculates them to some degree from the other shooting concerns that exist uh, on their roster outside of KP and Doncic. Exactly. That, and it's all about how you can, how you can ha- have these role players, uh, how can you um, make them more effective in the offense, but still allowing KP and Luca to get shots that maybe they normally couldn't have get, gotten before? Uh, but yeah, this this four point line, I say four point line. It's not really the four point line, but that's just how we've been talking about it uh, here in Dallas. Uh, it could, yeah, it's going to change a lot of how Mavericks uh, do basketball here in Dallas. I'm going to be refreshing the page on Luka Doncic's 28 footers uh, every yes. Day. Um, are you ready to to go through some quick hitters with me? Yeah, let's do it. Will the Mavericks grade out higher on the offensive or defensive end going by points per possession? Uh, offense. I think they will uh, offensively for sure. I think that I honestly think this offense is going to be a, a really good offense because because of Luke and KP. I think there's a, a really good chance that both of them average uh, 25 or more points a game this season. Um, and then a- outside of that, you just need some of these uh, role players to kind of hit with Seth or Tim Hardaway or something like that. Get a you know steady ten points from Delon Wright. But yeah, I think uh, offensively they'll grade better out in in points per possession offensively. Who's your breakout candidate for this roster? And you can define breakout however you want. I know I kind of prodded you by saying please pick Jalen Brunson. So if if you felt any undue pressure, please feel free to pick whoever you want. <laughs> No, I laughed at this because <clears throat> I was like, all right, which uh, which segment or which question can I talk about Jalen Brunson? Now, listen, some people throw out the question of like, who's the third best player in Dallas? Uh, who's who is that third guy? And you talk to different people. Some people will say DeLon Rice. Some people say Dwight Powell. How do you define the third best player? I'm telling you right now, Jalen Brunson is the best, the third best Dallas Maverick. Oh, and wow. It, it's it's in kind of hindsight, it's like weird because you're like, oh, he was a second round pick last year, blah, 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 blah. He had an incredible season last year as that second round pick. A lot of people slept on him, even even myself. I mean, we were we thought they were bringing back Yogi Ferrell last year at the draft, and they draft Jalen Brunson. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, there were some wings on the board that I like, some bigs. They draft Brunson. I was completely wrong on that. Dude is incredible on and off the court. And coming into training camp this past season, just a few weeks ago, just asking around the team saying, all right, what's, you know, what's some of these off seasons look like for some of these players? What are they looking like? A lot of talks about Porzingis and him getting bigger and all this stuff, Luca losing weight. 
and almost everybody was mentioned Jalen Brunson looks good. Like he looks really good. And just in these preseason games, and I asked Rick Carlisle the, the other night, Brunson didn't get in for, I, I honestly think they're just hiding him a little bit because uh, he kind of saved him. He, he didn't get in. He just had a great game in the preseason. Uh, he didn't check in to like the third quarter uh, against, against the Bucks a few, uh, like last week. And I asked Rick about it after the game. Rick just looked at me and said, coach's decision and just stared at me like Rick Carlisle, classic Rick Carlisle. He's great. And, uh, but, but Brunson, yeah, he's the third best Dallas Maverick. I think there's a, a chance that he takes a starting spot, whether that's him making his own spot from one of those wing guys, whether that's him taking over DeLon Wright. But when he's on the court, he's even even last night against the Clippers, he had seven assists in 15 minutes. He controls the ball. You can trust him. He can get into the paint. He can score. He literally can do it all. He, he can defend really well. Last year, Rick Carlisle, I, I talked to him about Brunson, and Rick said he's one of our best perimeter defenders, Jalen Brunson. So – he he the the coaches love him the organization loves him i'm not saying break out as far as an all-star team right. or something like that that's not going to happen but i think you're going to uh more people nationally i know that you know who Jalen brunson is and you love him i think he, it's going to transition from oh that guy won a championship villanova a national player of the year like that guy, oh, he's a really good NBA player, and that's where I think he'll be this year. He's he's a really, really good, really good player. They, I, I, I think the reflexive expectation is to assume that rookies will be terrible on defense, but he was like just a missile of effort on the Mavs games that again I I choppered in for last season. So it's like that's just there's value in that. Um, I'm wondering if this season maybe they'll get that. They, I think they do need to him to hit more threes because I don't see him getting to mm-hmm. the rim enough or getting to the foul line enough ever really um, to offset suboptimal three point shooting. And so is that a concern at all? Or do you look at, you know, he hits about 34% on standstill trays last year, which isn't particularly good, but you can point to that as a sign of encouragement or again, is his shooting uh, an actual concern for this team? No, I don't think it's a, a concern. Uh, I think that percentage will go up. Uh, he can, act, you know, when I did this huge story on him last year and I talked to some assistant coach at Villanova and anybody talked to that's been around him in basketball say, you know what? He's not the most athletic. He's not going to be dunking on everybody, but he is so crafty. He can, he can do what he wants. He can get anywhere he wants. And that is, the, that is the truth about Brunson. He can get into the paint. He can score. He is so, like, we, we have this joke, like you can't talk about Brunson without using the word crafty because he is the definition of crafty. And coming into it, even last year, you're like, man, is this our long-term J.J. Barea replacement? Like, is this the next J.J. in Dallas? Is he going to be the, you know, running that second unit for years here uh, in Dallas? And honestly, I, I think he can be a starter. And I didn't think that at the beginning of last year. I'm like, man, he's just going to be a career backup. But the way he's looking, uh, the way he's looked in this preseason, just talking with him and just talking with people around the team and different coaches, they absolutely love him. And as far as a team breakout guy, it's Jalen Brunson. Yeah, I was going to sneak the who's the third best Maverick like sort of into this category, and but you already answered that for me. Uh, so that, that excites me because he was a fun player to watch last year. Uh, moving on, the next question, who's their strongest year-end of the award candidate going by the seven major ones, you know, excluding all NBA, all defense, just those seven major year-end categories? Uh, can we do MVP? No, I'm, I'm not going to do the MVP thing. Not yet. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, if they win fifty games, which some people ask is their ceiling, Luca's probably in the MVP conversation. Then, like, if that's if that's where they end up at, I would imagine it's because he's 
top three in that voting. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm a, I'm gonna stay on Luca. And it sounds weird saying this at first because he had such an amazing year, but I'm gonna throw most improved player out there for Luca. And I say that because you look at the past year uh, where year winners in Pascal Siakam, Victor Oladipo, Giannis, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler. You were looking at the past five winners. The most improved is not always the most improved. You know, it's 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 basically this award that a player is really good but takes the next step to being like a like a superstar good. And when you look at that leap that Giannis made and even CJ McCollum, those guys, like Luka was incredible last year. But if I think his scoring is going to shoot up to pass 25 to 26, 27, somewhere through there, and if I think Dallas is going to be in the playoff hunt, if I think that you know they're going to win 45, 50 games, something like that, and if I think he's going to be an all-star or any of that stuff, I think he's going to be right there in that conversation of most improved, even though he had an incredible one of the best rookie seasons of all time see i think what might hurt him there is one i do believe there's a hesitancy to give it to sophomores and then two there's kind of like the lebron james effect again here he was in his sophomore season he was sixth i believe in most improved player voting and so there's that element of even if he gets a lot better how much better is he actually going to look because he was so good and dominant as a rookie and so i almost wonder if that works against him to an extent I think it I think it very well could for sure and because he was so good and averaged 21 points a game and all that stuff but uh and yeah the the whole sophomore thing it's not really a trend with that but I think it just I, I lean that direction if I have to pick one of those awards I lean that direction because I think he's going to elevate the team I think the team's going to improve so much in the win column and I think he's going to just enter a whole different area of era of his game that he just wasn't at last year. To where we're going to look back at his where he's playing this year, we're going to look back at last year and be like, "Dang, like we thought he was good last year. Look where he's at right now." I have written down if you could see my spreadsheet, which you can't. Um, see what Isaac says about Jalen Brunson, and then pick him for Sixth Man of the Year as their most likely one. And if if not, I I was going to default to Rick Carlisle for for Coach of the Year, but because you were as high on Jalen Brunson as I was, maybe even, maybe even a little bit higher, who knows? My pick would be Jalen Brunson for sixth man of the year, unless you did kind of caution that if he comes in and tries to steal a starting spot at some point in the season. Yeah, and I just don't – I don't know if he if he's ever going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to match the Lou Williams of the world uh, to where he could get close to that. And honestly, I just – I don't – I don't. I think there's a there's a chance that he could move into the starting lineup at some point. Yeah. So that uh, I'll be watching that as well. Um, is there an offbeat lineup from this team that you're dying to see? Um, there's not like a super super weird lineup because I always want to see Luca and KP on the floor together. But let's just do go with shooting. I'll say Brunson, Seth, Luca, Justin Jackson, and Porzingis because I want I want lineups to where all five players can shoot. And that's one of the things Porzingis does give you that some of the other big men across the league might not give you is if he's at the five spot, you know, he can a 40% seven foot shooter uh, at your five spot. So if you can surround all five players on the floor with shooters that I, I sign me up for that any day of the week, mine would be Luca and KP with Justin Jackson, Seth Curry and DeLon Wright. And my lead into that was be was going to be or follow up, excuse me, was going to be. Do you think that we see lineups where it's KP at the five with then Luca as the de facto four? 
Oh, uh, I think we could once again go into that whole like four position stuff right. because I think it'll always be that uh, the technical one. Yeah, I think we could. I think we could for sure. Uh, the lineup I want to see. I want to see uh, KP and Boban. That's the only thing I care about. I have how many zero, min- zero desire to see that lineup. I'm not I want. How many minutes can we see Boban and KP together uh, so we can all just smile and laugh and uh, enjoy that front court duo? If if it's like garbage time and they're the ones winning, uh, they should absolutely do it. But then there's going to be the urge to pull KP. But do you think that's actually something they they ever go to in meaningful stretches? Uh, they got some minutes together last night uh, against the Clippers. Boba made this uh, no-look pass to, to Porzingis uh, kind of in the short corner, and he knocked it down. Now, I think they will actually they actually will get a few minutes together here and there. I don't think he'll – just because Porzingis, they like him at the four, and Boban's obviously a five. So, I don't uh, – I guess if you don't have Powell for a little bit. Exactly. So, I, I don't I don't expect it to happen very much. I think there's going to be some nights Boban doesn't even play. Uh, but I, I love – guys, I can't even – I spent a decent amount of time with Boban on media day and had him uh, got him on our podcast and just talked with him and shook his hand, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> he's just – he's literally – I mean, all the stuff you hear about Boban being one of the coolest, funniest dudes ever, just about, a few, about minutes with him at media day, he was incredible. Uh, biggest hole you still see on this roster, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying I normally uh, this question is normally when we get to the quick hitters, uh, who's the player most likely to be traded? But I actually find the Mavericks a little bit uninteresting in that regard this season, and you can correct me if I'm I'm wrong there, just because they gave up so many carrots already, and so unless you're doing something like a you know like a Hardaway and and a Lee plus a small sweetener for like a Chris Paul, I just don't see them being as that team to to make any, any like do anything bold in the middle of the season is what I'm getting at. And so I'm just more curious about what is the biggest thing that you think they still need to address? Yeah. Over the past couple of days, I mean, I feel like Mavs fans have DM just tweet tweeted everything. I'm saying, Oh man, can we get buddy Hill? Is that a third piece? I'm like guys, buddy Hill would be amazing here in Dallas, but uh, there's no way to get him here. So uh, they just don't, it's like you said, they don't have money coming up this summer. Uh, to spend they don't have hardly any trade assets right now they gave up a bunch of picks for the Porzingis deal and yeah when you look across the roster like we uh, like a lot of these pieces in Dallas we like DeLon Wright Seth Curry Maxi, all these guys they're solid solid guys on solid deals they're none of them are really overpaid outside of Tim Hardaway Jr. but yeah I, I'm I'm with you I love trades I love trade season it's just difficult to find something that Dallas could really do this season because unless something, you know, unless one or two of these guys really pop, unless DeLon Wright just has uh, an insane season, but uh, biggest hole, I think it's shooting. I I know I went down my shooting uh, spree before, but they're going to, I I honestly think they're going to be at the top five as far as three point attempts in a league, but just because they shoot them doesn't mean that they're going to hit them at a high (laughs) clip. So uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm worried about outside of Luca KP, uh, Seth Curry, what does the supporting cast outside of those three, what does that three-point percentage look like? And do they make a move? Do they try to bring in some – go out and try to get a, a low-cost shooter? I, I don't know. But shooting is definitely a hole that I'm watching. Where do you think that they will end up in the, the Western Conference? I, I, I'm riding the, the duo of KP and Luka. I've, I said my spill on them. I think they average over 25 a game. I think Luka is right there and um, – yeah, I think they six to eight in the West. I, I honestly think they're going to be a playoff team. Um, 
at six is a little high. I, I leaned, we did our pr- uh, predictions the other day and uh, I put them at eight. And uh, so, yeah, seven, six, seven, eight, six, the highest eight uh, is probably what I'd say mo- most likely. I think they sneak in, have a good first round matchup with somebody like Denver or something like that and get their feet wet and uh, try to rebound next season. I'm a little bit lower on them than you. Uh, Get out of here, Dan. (laughs) Mavericks fans got at me. uh, I think you were in the mentions, too, as a joke, where I said they were going to be – ESPN tweeted that KP and Luka are already a problem, and I I quoted with the most terrifying 11 seed. I'm actually higher on them than that, but people who don't follow my account were tagging old takes exposed because they don't understand that I'm just a human troll on Twitter. Just there. I'm really just there to have fun. That's it. I have no allegiances. I'm just there to have fun. That being said, I kind of feel like they're going to be – with the Kings in those two teams that get displaced from the playoff race. So I would, you know, maybe I could see them falling to 10 or 11 just because the West is so brutal. And, you know, maybe a team like Oklahoma city surprises us by keeping the band together and being really good. But I feel like they're going to be in that, you know, nine, 10 range more so with the Kings and that you could be interchangeable with, with either of those two teams. And that might stem more from my refusal because I got so caught up in some of these other teams when they were too young, one of them being the Celtics, that I just don't want to to rush to crown them something that they might not be ready for. Yeah, and my, my counter to that is I think Dallas has a duo that none of those other teams have. And I it just I, well, I'm just KK, that high. If he's because Luca look, Luca's top twenty five right now. I you can make yeah. the top twenty argument as well. Uh he's probably going to climb up that ladder this season. It's comes down to KP for me. If he's a top twenty five player, then if you have two of those guys, then yes, you're in the playoffs. I'm just it, it comes back to the injuries. You know, people were expecting a lot from Gordon Hayward when he came back. I know ACLs aren't the serious thing anymore, but they're still big deals. He's been playing well, but he's also been injury prone. Um, I don't know if you have a feel for how many games you think they're going to rest. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to mention that. I, might, I didn't mention that earlier, but the load load management thing is going to be real with KP this year. And, I, and you have to consider this when it comes into uh, projecting Dallas. Tim Cato from The Athletic was on our podcast, uh, gosh, I feel like a month ago, some somewhere towards the end of the offseason, and he said you know, he had heard around the 15-game mark, and I expect if you're saying, hey, what, what do you expect game-wise? I think 68 to 70 games this year uh, as far as games played for Porzingis, and Carlisle was asked about that. Porzingis was asked about it. It was obviously a thing uh, that they were both asked about at media day they're both really vague about it there is a, a plan in place there is something that they're looking at and uh, Carlisle did say that he he said hey we're gonna look at the back-to-backs early uh, which I thought that was intriguing that he didn't just say we're gonna monitor the back-to-backs all year him just saying early makes me wonder I'm like man okay well if he's feeling good does that mean he's gonna play right. some because I was kind of operating like okay he's just gonna miss all the back-to-backs you know in one of those games and that kind of puts him around that mark but Man, if he's feeling good towards the end of the season, but I still expect him to miss anywhere 10 to 13, 14 games this season just for rest and load management. And he probably should and probably will. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how Luka's already so good, but if you remove KP with all the question marks that they have elsewhere, those could be brutal games for them. Yes, for sure. Uh, and that and that's, yeah, the, the questions with the supporting cast, 100%, but you also have Luka, and if I if I already think Luka is a top 25 player, top 20 player, and I think he's going to make another big leap, I have to stick to my guns in that and saying, okay, well, if I think he takes another big leap, I think he's going to be able to carry the team too. Well, I'm not sure you need to get much bolder, but what would be your bold or bold-ish prediction for the, the Mavericks this season? 
Okay, it's not necessarily about the team, but I got one for you. Luka Doncic starts in the All-Star game over Anthony Davis. Ooh, that is... I know Luka's got the international market on lockdown there, but Anthony Davis in Los Angeles... Uh, I know. Fan vote counts for less. That perhaps helps, but I, I also wonder if it, it hurts because what are, what are, I, the players' vote, I feel like, is a joke. And so yes. I even feel like media members... Some of them are, are hesitant to go with guys who are in their first and second year. I'm, I like it though. I'm not saying it's impossible. That's just that is. Hey, bold. You said bold. I'm going for it. I like um, it. Yeah, I mean, you look at fan vote last year. Luca was second behind LeBron. He had more fan votes than Steph Curry, which just blew me away last year. Um, and when you look at it this year, I if I think he's going to take if if I think Dallas is in that five, six, seven, eight range uh, at, around the All Star break. And he's killing it. He made a huge leap. He's not only going to get – the fan votes will be there either way. But I think then he'll get a, a little bit more player votes. But that's a joke, like you said. But I think uh, the biggest thing is I think he'll get more uh, votes from coaches across the league. I dig it. I'm here Medium. for it. Uh, Hardwood Knox listeners, that was Isaac Harris. Thank you so much for your time so that we could talk some Mavericks. Be sure to follow him again at Isaac L. Harris, I-S-A-A-C-L-H-A-R-R-I-S. He writes for Mavs.com and also does a fantastic job covering the team as a co-host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast. So be sure to check them out and subscribe. Isaac, again, thank you so much for your time. And I'm sure I will be pestering you down the line. Dan, I really appreciate it. I appreciate uh, everything that you and Andy do. Uh, and I look forward to the next Bleacher Report rankings article that will piss everybody off. Yeah, you and um, maybe like six other people will be reading that, I'm sure. So <laughs> thanks, Isaac. I appreciate it, Dan. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. I'm guilty of it myself. I dislocated my shoulder just a few months ago. After it popped back in, rather than seeking immediate medical attention, I just wanted to continue about my daily life, deal with the pain, and hope that it would eventually get better without really doing anything to rest it or make sure that it gave me proper range of motion. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to get connected to a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com dot com slash blue wire welcome to our memphis grizzlies outlook for the 2019-2020 nba season hardwood knox listeners i do not have my co-host andy bailey with me but that's because i have someone much better keith parish follow him on twitter at keith parish co-host of the fast break breakfast podcast which i have trouble pronouncing when i'm looking at their twitter handle for some reason follow that podcast on Twitter and listen to it, subscribe to it, subscribe to their Patreon as well at Fast Break Break, spelled exactly 
as it sounds. Keith, you're also starting a Memphis Grizzlies-specific podcast as well, correct? It's already launched called the – I don't want to mess this up, too. Uh, Grits and Grinds. Grits and Grinds. Grits and Grinds. We just launched it. It's like a spinoff of Fast Break Breakfast, but we, we gave it its own podcast feed. So Grits and Grinds, it just went public a couple days ago. I've been doing it in secret for our uh, Patreon supporters but it is now public for everyone. Grits and Grinds. It's a Grizzlies podcast. I clearly need to pay better attention to my email then because I am on your Patreon and I don't remember seeing anything about it. until you. I don't know yesterday. if we did it. Uh, I don't know if we, we haven't sent an email out to our patrons. I guess that would be an effective way to get the, uh, the word <laughs> out. We just talked about it on the, uh, on the podcast on our season six, episode one uh, episode that came out on Tuesday. We talked about it a little bit on there, but it's a real long podcast. And uh, obviously... There's so many podcasts out. How do you hear it all? But. Yeah, it's, uh, especially this time of year. Still big fan yeah. of Fast Break Breakfast and the segment at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, did you have breakfast today or what did you have? Oh, breakfast? I did have, um, actually, I had, uh, I had a Krispy Kreme pumpkin, pumpkin donut, cake donut. So I, I uh, very on brand, went and got a donut. Hey, that's a flex breakfast. I'm here for it. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm a protein shake guy for breakfast, so I don't do anything fun. Uh, so that, that, sounds, that sounds like a flex breakfast to me. Ready to talk some Memphis Grizzlies, though, with me, Keith? Always. Love talking about them. All right, so our sexy six for the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm going to start with Taylor Jenkins, which I'm sure is not where a lot of people want to start, but uh, people like myself and uh, NBA fans in general probably don't know much about him. And sort of with the Grizzlies going through most of the preseason and now training camp already, do you ex- what kind of shifts in the way they play do you think that we can expect to see, or do you still think it's a little bit fluid because – you know, they haven't been entirely healthy during the preseason. Anderson's been playing, but still has the shoulder thing. Uh, Valanchunas hasn't played that that I've seen. Uh, or have you been able to, to take away anything from how you think the Grizzlies are, are going to try and play this year? I think they're going to try to play drastically differently than they have been playing. No more post-up, no more like two front court guys in the post. The preseason has been all like five out, everyone's spread out. I don't know if that will functionally change when Valanchunas returns. But also, Valanciunas is talking about he's gonna he's gonna whip out that three point shot this year. Uh, so I think it's gonna it's gonna drastically change from previous seasons where they used to play at a very slow pace. I know everyone talks about like we're gonna play faster, but the Grizzlies shot so many had so many post up possessions. They had so many mid range shots, and I think the Bucks their offensive kind of profile was exactly the opposite, where they didn't do post ups very much. They mm-hmm. shot a bunch of threes. The Grizzlies don't shoot a bunch of threes, and I think. Taylor Jenkins is going to have them just chucking threes. I think it's going to be painful because no one on the team can shoot very well. But I, I, from what I hear, they all their practices, they have like parts of the court highlighted where they're saying these are the three-point shots we want to get to. How that's played out in the preseason games has so far has been a train wreck where it seems like no one knows where to stand. There's a lot of weird top of the key. Someone will just throw a ball out of bounds because three people are standing out front and no one's gone in the paint. So it's a work in progress. And I don't know what the final product is supposed to look like, but I do think uh, Coach Jenkins is trying to get just a drastically different shot profile from what the Grizzlies have had in years past. Yeah. It's so it, you look at the pace they're playing with in the preseason and it's so tough to take anything away from that because a preseason isn't always telltale of how teams do often play, but it's going to be kind of a stark contrast if the Grizzlies actually do get up and down the floor. And even in the preseason, they're in the bottom half of pace, but 
yeah, the pace is always exponentially higher for everyone. So there's still like 106 possessions per for 48 minutes around there. So if that's the way that they end up playing, and I do think they definitely have the personnel to do that uh, more so than they ever have with, with John Morant and then even the guys that they have up front when Valanciunas isn't on the floor, that's just going to be such a interesting, significant, stylistic shift from what we've seen over basically the past decade or so. Yeah, I think I think when I was on earlier with you this summer, I was talking about how the Grizzlies have been last in the NBA and made field goals the last two year, two years. And so maybe that'll change with them getting more possessions per game. But also with their personnel, I, I kind of wonder, will there be drastically different styles between like the starters and the bench units? Because you have you have these weird you have Jonas Valanciunas who doesn't fit a pace. You have Kyle Anderson who can't shoot three pointers and is slow mo. So you have those guys. You have Tyus Jones. Where it's like, I wonder if you'll start working out like a, you have a slow unit with a Tyus Jones, a Kyle Anderson, and a Valanciunas. Then you have a fast unit where you go because John Morant, you know, he's been the spark of the preseason where the guy flies. He just he plays. I mean, he's out of control and he's making a lot of goofy turnovers, but he's spectacular. He's exhilarating. He's shown some of that John Wall ability to go coast to coast on people. Just to, if the defense isn't set or expecting it. And if they do that, that front court of the future with Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. You can imagine that that you know group getting up and down the court, but I don't know. It's gonna be weird if they if they start Valanciunas. I don't know how it's all gonna how that's all gonna mix together. You touched on so many things that I, I want to get to and have listed. So I'm gonna jump ahead to one. Uh, it's technically question uh-huh. number three on my sexy six. But John Morant, uh, as someone who doesn't really watch a ton of college basketball until the lead up to the draft, where I go through crash courses. I did not realize he was such an escapist off the dribble, and I'm not sure there's someone in the NBA right now that blends the speed that he has with that kind of escapism off the dribble. De'Aaron Fox probably comes closest, but he just doesn't have the same type of handle that we've at least seen from John Morant in the preseason, it seems. And so do you think that they're going to give him a long enough leash to try and see if that stuff translates to the regular season? And I guess really more to the point where, aside from defense, obviously, do you think that he's going to to struggle most during the regular season? Is it a red flag he's only taken three three three-pointers so far? Or is there just something else that you're seeing that you're more concerned about? Uh, You know, right now, no concerns. I guess guess because there's no stakes. Like, there's no stakes right now. To answer your question, are they going to give him a leash to to do all that? I think they're going to give him the longest leash ever. They're going to say, just do everything and then when it starts maybe mattering or if we see something that's a bad habit or something that isn't optimal for your development, we're going to dial that back. But from what I've heard from the coaching staff and from other reporters in Memphis is they're just kind of saying, like, go get it. Just go do your thing. And, I mean, the stuff he displayed in um, the first two preseason games that didn't really count against uh, Maccabi Haifa and the New Zealand Breakers, He's like, all right, whatever. This is sub-NBA competition. The stuff he did against the Hornets, which is still barely NBA competition, like he, he, he treated the game like an all-star game, as far as I could tell. He did so many like dribble tricks. He did a behind-his-back thing where he went back through his legs to split defenders, and, and it was effective. He did a fake pass off a handoff to do like a, a I don't know, an and one tour like finish over, and actually was an and one. He got fouled by Cody Zeller. Like he did so many just wildly spectacular things where I, I was saying on uh, fast break breakfast that like he, he he's already like Jason Williams, like white chocolate, not the limousine driver murderer. Uh, Jason, like J will white <laughs> chocolate. He already has like these handles, these passes. He, he probably already 
in three preseason games, he's probably the best passer in Grizzlies history. Like he, he, he's not a better player than, you know, guys we've had. And, and we don't know how good he's even going to be in an NBA game, but just his vision. And I expect him to put up a lot of assists this year. He's probably going to be, you know, in, in probably the, the race for assist leader in the NBA, I think just based on the opportunity he'll get and his passing, but the guy is flamboyant. I mean, he, he is, he's, he's white chocolate with like the, the, the jumps, the ups of like Steve Francis or something like he can, he can dunk and he can do all these spectacular plays. I think he's going to be like a big, like popular star. Don't know if he's gonna be good. Don't know if he's gonna be an all-star, but I think he's shown the skills already. And I think the team is going to let him do whatever he wants in this first year that he's going to be all over sports center. Everyone's going to be, you know, sharing the clips of him doing stuff. And uh, he's, he's going to be a, a, an extremely popular, I think, national NBA player. There does seem to be there. Well, there is a difference between like recklessness and actual craft. And it seems like his passes even now can still tilt towards the latter. And that, yes, this is a product of the opportunity he's getting but it's it's like I don't know if he'll ever be under control but he actually seems like maybe this is a conversation like we had with Trey Young although it was more known how good his vision was coming into the league last year where it's like oh this guy's actually a better playmaker setup man someone who makes his teammates better than he was originally advertised to be and sort of to that point he's averaging 13.4 assists in for 36 minutes in the preseason and you mentioned that you could see him being among the league leaders in assists this year. If he had a set and over under there, I initially thought this was a couple months ago that maybe like seven would be the absolute max. And now I'm wondering if that needs to be pushed to like eight or nine. Yeah, I think I'd probably set that over under at eight. I'd, pro- I'd probably do it at like, you know, 7.9, something around there. I feel like eight is definitely reasonable. I mean, maybe it's, I'm trying to remember what Lonzo Ball did his rookie year, even though he was hurt. I want to say he had like six or seven or something. Uh, I guess I could look that up, but like, I, I do feel like because they have no other, I mean, they have Tyus Jones, but I don't think he's going to share the court with Tyus Jones very much. Like, I do think he's just going to be nonstop sharing the ball. And we've already seen him, or at least I've seen him in the preseason. He's passed up open layups just to keep passing the ball, like in a bad way. We're like, no, just <laughs> like, like, like buddy, just shoot the layups. Yeah. So Lonzo ball averaged 7.2 his rookie year. I, I think he can match that. That was in a lot of minutes. He got 34 minutes per game, but I do think, uh, I think, you know, you know, I guess maybe seven and a half over under, and I'd probably take the over slightly. Yeah, and it's not like you mentioned Tyus Jones, but they don't. He's just I wouldn't consider him another proven playmaker. Uh, Kyle Anderson <laughs> might be the second best playmaker on this team. I think would be reasonable to say. Uh, Jared Jackson Jr. I don't really think I've realized how long it had been since I had seen him play until I had to write something about him for a project at Bleach Report that's going to be dropping soon. And I was just like, I haven't. I just. I have like minimal recollection of Jared Jackson Jr.'s uh, rookie season other than that I was in love with it. And so I was like going back and, and watching uh, t- clips of him and he's just, he's so good. And I think Chris Harrington put this best when he was on the Dunk Don podcast that he's someone on offense who can get to 20, 20 plus points a game. Maybe not that 25 point per game territory, but close just within the flow of the offense because he can do so many different things and there there can be games where you're just watching and looking up and all of a sudden it's like oh he has 16 points at halftime how did that even happen it didn't feel like he was taking a a ton of shots or or burning through a ton of possessions is there do you want to agree with that assessment and two is there something specific you're looking from him to do more on offense this year heading into that sophomore season 
Yeah, I, I can't improve on what Chris Harrington said. I heard that as well, and I really enjoyed it. I also liked it because he played a horrible game, Jaron Jackson Jr., not Chris Harrington. Uh, <laughs> Jaron Jackson Jr. played a horrible game against the Hornets. He fouled out in, in 20 minutes. He had four turnovers. It was just, it was abysmal. And I, I had already been like, guys, we need to slow down on Jaron Jackson Jr. I know like what I, you know, the hipster NBA Twitter people were all so fired up about him and then maybe him being an all time great or something or projecting to be that. And I was like, we got to slow down because he, he, you know, he, he struggles on offense. He isn't as athletic as far as like the bounce of like getting above the rim as sometimes we might imagine he is. And, and he offense isn't a thing that like, I don't know if he focuses on or it's like his primary thing, but hearing Chris Harrington say like, you have to remember this guy's a defensive first player. So he's a defensive first player. He projects to be maybe have that all defensive team talent and ability. And if then he can give you that 18 to 20 points, that's what that's how that's his path to being like a really, really good NBA player. So I was like, that is true. So one thing I want to see from him is he's got to get better going like finishing right, like going right because the defense already shades him now that he is the focus of the Grizzlies team pretty much. Defenses are going to be keying in on him, ganging up on him. So he's got to add moving right. And then it's just, I think it might be schematically or from the coaching staff team-wide, are they going to involve him purposefully on offense? That was the thing last year that was frustrating in a lost season. It seems like the Grizzlies didn't even run plays for him to see what he could do. He had a couple of big scoring games, but also he disappeared a lot. Uh, and overall, his, his, his just whatever raw stats weren't that good. And so I would like to see if he can handle being a focal point on offense when the team's running plays for him and it goes through him. But I'm kind of thinking it might be a season where he just averages, you know, 14 or 15 points again. And maybe people will think that's a letdown, but it's, it's the offensive, I don't know, outbursts. I don't think are going to be the biggest part of his game. His, his biggest effects are always going to be on the defensive end. And on the defensive end, is it just this season or are you just looking at, hey, can he foul a little bit less? And he's already yeah, in midseason yeah. form there. 6.3 fouls per right. 36 in the preseason. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's it. I, I mean, he's shown so much defensively already. It, it just elite awareness and elite communication. And, like, he can guard on the perimeter. He's a great shot blocker, even without having that huge leaping ability. He grew an inch and a half over the summer or since last year when he was measured. So he's going to be even bigger. He's going to be even stronger. Maybe he can hold up against some of the bigger guys. I think the hope among Grizzlies fans and writers is like if he adds that weight and he's a little stronger, he won't get in foul trouble as much. But like, like you said, he's fouling like crazy still this preseason. It might also just be a matter of like figuring out how to use his length better. I don't know that he even needs uh-huh. to get stronger because he's his wingspan is seven four, and I look at him and I'm I was convinced it was like seven six or seven seven or something. So. Uh, but just fantastic. It was good to have to go down a Jared Jackson Jr. rabbit hole the other day because I didn't realize how long it had been since I'd actually seen him play. Uh, so what does the front court rotation look like when Jonas Valanciunas comes back? Uh, they've, I love that they've been going to the Brandon Clark and uh, Triple J front court early on. Is that going to stay a staple once Valanciunas comes back? Or are they going to maybe mix and match a little bit more where you're going to see more Kyle Anderson at the four? Or maybe you'll see even Jay Crowder at the four? Uh, do we see Bruno Caboclo at the four? I'm very, uh, there's already been talk that this team is going to end up waiving uh, their trademark Plumley because every team needs needs a Plumley. <laughs> so if you're going to do that, it, it makes me think that you are then going to allocate a fair amount of minutes to uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. at center. 
Where did you hear that uh, that Plumlee news? I had not heard that. I mean, I, I, that's one of my guesses that it would be Plumlee, but I hadn't seen anything like sourced on that. I don't know if it was sourced or if it was a guess, and it might have been on the same Chris Harrington dunked on uh-huh. Grizzlies podcast because that dropped very recently. So I, I listened to gotcha. it. Gotcha. No, yeah, Plum Plumlee rolled out two nights ago with a, a weird, hard shaved back of his head with slicked back hair, and he attempted a fourteen foot sky hook that slammed off the glass. And I was like, "He's is he asking for it? He's just saying, <laughs> release me now. But, uh, I, you know, to answer your question, I, I, I don't know what the front court's going to look like. The front court of the future is Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. And they've already wet my appetite for that in the preseason games. And I, that's all I want to see. I, I guess once Jonas, Jonas gets back and we were like, oh, yeah, this guy's a very solid guy. He's putting up 19 and 10 or whatever. And that, that, that's, that's all well and good. Um, the big question I don't know what it's going to look like. I guess the big question is, how does Jaron Jackson Jr. play with him? They only played two games together last year. Can Brandon Clark play the four beside him? Can Jaron Jackson Jr. play the five alongside Kyle Anderson? They've been talking about putting Caboclo at the five and going super, super small. I'd be here and, for it. <laughs> yeah, and they did it. But, I mean, Caboclo, I don't know. what the. I mean, he can't, he can't really guard other big centers. He's not that good at defense. He's, he's, like more, he's more intriguing. But... I assume once Valanciunas is healthy, he's going to start with Jaron Jackson Jr. Then at that six-minute mark, someone's coming out. Maybe it's probably Jaron Jackson Jr. with his two fouls. Uh, and, and then, <laughs> then you know, I don't know if it's going to be Caboclo or Kyle Anderson or uh, Brandon Clark who comes in and then plays alongside Valanciunas. And I don't know if Clark can do that. And so that, th- those are questions. I don't have an answer for you because I don't know what it's going to look like. That's This is something I'm very interest, interested to see, like how it's going to play out. But that leads me to believe then that they'll experiment, which is then just always fun. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, this is the season of experimentation. It really is. It's it, it's an unusual position as a Grizzlies fan to, to go in to the season not focused on the playoffs. Even the last two seasons when they were bad, it was like, all right. There's a chance we could win 35, 38 games. Let's just go for it. This is like, we, no, we're not going to be good. We're going to try some things. We're going to see if Grayson Allen should be a starting two guard. I hope we try to see if when DeAnthony Melson gets back eventually, maybe he can be a starter. So I think they're going to experiment a lot. I hope that experimentation doesn't come at like a damaging cost of the development of John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., which I think is like the most important goal of the season. But I do think they're going to throw all kinds of things at, at the wall and just see what sticks. Who's more compelling to watch on this team in, in terms of their potential long-term value to the team? DeAnthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, and Grayson Allen. And I would include Josh Jackson in there, but, but the follow-up question to this would be, are the Grizzlies <laughs> just out on him completely? Yeah, I mean, Josh Jackson accepted the "Hey, go to the D League and show you can, or the G League and show you can play basketball" offer that they gave to Chandler Parsons last year, who, who politely declined. I, I don't think we're going to see Josh Jackson do much of anything. As far as who's more compelling long term, I mean, I think it's just what what are you going for? Who is most likely to have the longest career as like a top nine rotation NBA player? I think that might be Dylan Brooks. Who has the highest ceiling? I think that might be DeAnthony Melton. And maybe that's just because there's just more unknown about him. He put up all those deflection and those steal and block shot stats at a guard position last year. And so you project out, wow, if that guy can just knock down his three-pointers and handle the ball a little bit, that's an ideal three and D's switchable player that you can plug and play in almost any team, any system. So 
I guess because of that unknown quantity, I'm more interested long-term in DeAnthony Melton. But also Grayson Allen, I mean, he was horrible at Summer League. He's looked really solid in the preseason so far. Maybe he's like a third-string point guard, backup shooting guard on an okay team. He had that huge scoring explosion to end the regular season last year on the Jazz. He put up 40 points, I think, against the Clippers in a meaningless game. But still, like scoring 40 points in an NBA game, you don't completely shrug your shoulders at that. And if he can become a defender and like set people up, that's intriguing. So, you know, I, I guess if I have to choose one, it's Anthony Melton just for the maybe the higher ceiling and more unknown quantity. And I would take that over the things that I already kind of know what they are. Uh, really quickly before I throw it to you on the, the final sexy six, I have a bonus one is do you have any short or meaningful Brandon Clark takeaways thus far? I'm in love with Brandon Clark. Like a I think Brandon stick. I think Brandon Clark's amazing. I mean, he, I don't know if he's going to project to being like when he's fully formed and I know he's already 24, so maybe he's close to being fully formed, but like, does he project ever scoring 15 points per game in the NBA? I'm not sure, but if he can, he hasn't taken a three yet in preseason. He shot him fine in Vegas summer league or actually very well in Vegas summer league. So I do project, like at least in my prediction, and again, it's such small sample size, just watching summer league and preseason games, that he could be an NBA starter. He can be a, he's a switchable defender. And he says he wants to be like Sean Marion, e- even though we think of Brandon Clark more as like a big front court and almost a five. He doesn't envision himself that way. And in the Hornets game, he showed that. He was getting up and down the court. He was hitting little floaters. He has a very nice touch on like maybe out to 10 feet on floaters. His set shot is fine. If he if he gets even better at that and, and, and he shows he can guard NBA wings, which I mean that might be a big if, but I think this guy's gonna be an extremely valuable contributor. And he might end up being like you know, upper ceiling near all-star level player. But I, I can imagine him this season, if he gets 25 minutes a game, you know, doing something like eleven points, eight rebounds, and like a block and a half. And if you and if he hits his if he has like a really high true shooting percentage, which I assume he will, I assume he's going to be incredibly efficient and he can stretch the defense a little bit like that. That's a great player to have. And I, I'm like, I'm so high on him right now. Like there's not, I'm unreasonably high. Like I, I wouldn't trade him. Uh, my, my trade list of people I'd give him up for is pretty low. Uh, any lineup that has both him and John Morant in at the same time, and maybe with a Tyus Jones or a Caboclo there too, will be one of the highest energy lineups in, yeah. in the NBA. Yeah, as bad as it's going to be, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see that. What's something about this team that you don't think is getting enough shine right now, or maybe something that not a lot of people are talking about that you're going to be watching for as we lead into the regular season? That's a great question. I, I don't. I don't, honestly, I don't think there's an underreported story. The story is John Morant. The story is Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't. There's not even a storyline I'm that interested in beyond those things. Like I want to see like uh, Marco Guterich and D'Anthony Melton NBA players, but I, I don't think it is. I think just focus on the obvious. Um, we'll see the forest. Don't don't worry about the trees. It's all about the young guys, the Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr., and John Morant. No, uh, n- no sleeper storylines. That's it. Hey, I like that answer. Are you ready for our quick hitter round? Sure, let's go. Will the Grizzlies grade out higher on offense or defense going by points per possession? Uh, uh, defense. That's I, th- an I think they pick. I, I mean, I think they have enough. Well, they have more guys who you're like that guy could be an above average defender than they have people who could be an above average offensive player. Like I think John Moran's gonna be bad at defense. 
like Jonas Valanciunas is fine. Dylan Brooks isn't very good at defense, but then they have that unique front court. They, they have Kyle Anderson. They have Brandon Clark. They have Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, they have D'Antoni Melton. I, I think those guys, they have Jay Crowder. They have a, just a bunch of guys who I think can be an okay like defensive unit to, to maybe, and even Tyus Jones. Like I feel like you have guys who can all be a part of a good defense. So even though they have a bunch of young guys and, and will struggle, I, I think they're going to be they're, they're going to be fine, I think, at defense, and I think they're going to be terrible at offense. Yeah, so. and I guess if you're going to have a rookie and a sophomore probably be your two leading scorers, that's an argument that the offense is going to be up a month, uh, up against a much higher learning curve. Yeah. Breakout candidate for this team. You could define breakout however you want because I know there's just a lot of – there are guys that really aren't in a breakout position, and then there are just a lot of youngsters. So however you want to define breakout, who would be your breakout candidate for this team? Um – it's an interesting one. I feel like I feel like I want to say Brandon Clark, but I've talked about him so much. I guess I'll just say Brandon Clark because I, I don't think there's anyone else. I guess if Grayson Allen became like a 25 minute a night guy, that'd be like a surprise and a breakout. But I'll just go with Brandon Clark. He's gonna he's gonna take the the NBA by, by storm. And you don't think it could be a Jaron Jackson Jr. breakout where it's oh this guy is all of a sudden doing all this purpose purposeful stuff on offense and isn't fouling you know, on defense? You know I don't know. I mean. I look at the the careers when, when I'm dreaming about how good Jaron Jackson Jr. could be. I'm looking at the careers of like Al Horford or Chris Bosh and Kevin Garnett, who who came, both came into the NBA at the same age as Jaron Jackson Jr. And in their second years, I think they like Bosh averaged almost 17 points per game and Garnett averaged 17 points per game. So part of me is like maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. can raise his averages from like 13 and four that he had last year to get up to 17 points per game and like eight rebounds. But I feel like that's just setting myself up for disappointment. Cause I feel like that might be too much of a learning curve or a growth curve for him. But I, I guess, you know, you're right. Like he, he does have that opportunity and he will be given every opportunity to be the focal point of the offense and to score a bunch of points. So yeah, Jerry Jackson Jr. is a good one too. Strongest year end award candidate going by the, the seven major categories. I feel like this is a little bit of a gimme. Yeah, yeah, and you and you got a you got a couple of entries. It's John Morant, Rookie of the Year. Also, uh, Brandon Clark, Sleeper, Rookie of the Year. You know, they, they could they could both be first team all, all rookie. I would guess uh, they don't have an MVP. They don't have a I mean, six man. My boy Kyle Anderson. No, they're they're, they're going to be you so normally bad. Normally have to come from like a yeah semi good team to get the shine, yeah. and that's why Rookie of the Year is to me easily the, the the most intriguing pick. How about how about how about Jaron Jackson Jr. Defensive Player of the Year? I'm I'm here for it. The Grizzlies are in the playoffs if that happens, are they not? I mean, they have to have like a top five defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they, 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 they have no chance in any of them except for, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe executive of the year. They'll, they'll reward the the reportedly unpopular Zach Kleiman for all his shrewd moves. Once he turns Iguodala into another first-round pick, they'll be like, God, that guy's just killing it. <laughs> um, is there an offbeat lineup that you're dying to see from this team? Feel yeah, free to yeah, get yeah. as weird as you like. No, no, no. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. And I need, I need, I need one more awesome one. I guess those, those guys with John Morant, I would, that's, that's amazing. That team's amazing. Mine's kind of boring. Uh, Uh just because I feel like it'll end up being one of their most used items or at least close to it. Uh, John Morant, uh, Bruno Caboclo, Jay Crowder, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark. But your comments about Caboclo, I really want to now pull Jaron Jackson Jr. from that lineup, move Caboclo 
and Clark <laughs> as your front court, and then you could put in Tyus Jones, and let's just let that lineup run and see, just see what happens, see how bad I, it is. I am not as obsessed as many people are with Bruno. I'm like, he's fine. He has he has a good game. Last year, he had like an okay game every every five or six games. So that's like, he has like an 80% fail rate as far as I'm concerned. Dude, he's like that's negative like, two years away from being two years away. I know, that's, that's I know. Like every, so many, he's like a fun little, little NBA Twitter darling. I don't love him that much. I am much more interested in like, there, there's, there's eight young unproven Grizzlies I'm way more interested in than, uh, than Bruno Caboclo. It, to me, it's not so much Bruno Caboclo right now is the fact that just putting him at the five or him and Brandon Clark and just seeing what happens there. Look, if you want to do Brandon Clark and Kyle Anderson, is that front court? I'd be here for it too. A lot of a lot oh, yeah. of oddball combinations the Grizzlies could go with, and I, I hope they plumb them. Yeah, Who, who's the player most likely to be traded on this team? And I, I basically guess that's a question of is it Jay Crowder or Andre Godala? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's Jay Crowder is the highest. Yeah, definitely the highest probability to get traded. He said things on media day like he wants to stay here. He wants to be part of the Grizzlies' future. That's kind of typical boilerplate media day stuff. I, I assume he will get traded. You know, Igadala is is second on that. Although, I think it's more likely they eventually come to some terms of a buyout, just because you can't find that matching salary. I also think whichever one of Solomon Hill and Miles Plumley doesn't get waived in training camp, that's just an expiring salary that I am guessing they will want to try to match. Uh, so I guess there's an outside shot. One of those guys is is included in, in a future deal. Here would be a deal for Jay Crowder. I was wondering if you would be intrigued by if you're the Grizzlies, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, gives up, I, th- I think Ursan Ilyasova is a perfect salary match, and then Indiana's first round pick, lottery protected for Jay Crowder. Is that a trade that you're considering? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Do wait, does does Ursan have a? An- he has another year, right? It's not guaranteed though. I think he has like a million guaranteed. I have it written down in my spreadsheet. It's just not um, right no, no, no. Any if you if you say the words lottery protected first rounder, yeah, we're getting Jay out the door. Yeah, you can you, you can you can send back whatever you like. That seems like something that would be more realistic if it's the Pacers are clearly going to make the playoffs and are pretty good and the Bucks need that wing help. Otherwise, I don't know that I'd give up that type of a pick because there's a lot of variance in the Pacers for me. So as of right now, uh, that's not something that I would actually give, give up for Jay Crowder, but they're a team that could really yeah, use him. I'm trying to like what I'm trying to think why Milwaukee would be that excited to add a Jay Crowder and to get, I mean, Ursan's fine. Their, just, their secondary ring rotation is just, yeah. it doesn't look great right now. I mean, maybe Wesley Matthews is really good. Maybe you get something out of Pat Connaughton or Sterling Brown or Dante free, DiVincenzo. Free, uh, yeah, DiVincenzo and, and DJ Wilson, man. Free them. Hey, if you want one of them so bad, they can be part of the trade. Instead oh my, of oh my, give me, give me DJ Wilson. No joke last year. He had the game of the season against the Grizzlies. The Bucks went on, I want to say it was a, I don't know why I remember this. Probably because I tweeted about it. I want to say it was a 50 to 14 run, and uh, it was a very short amount of time. And DJ Wilson was Kevin Durant. He he could not <laughs> miss. He was like hitting the corner threes, doing the Marcus Smart, Steph Curry spin around, look at the bench. It was unbelievable. And then Budenholzer buried him for the rest of the season. But no, I would absolutely yeah g- give me a give me DJ Wilson in a, in two seconds. Let's let's make a deal. Where do you think the Grizzlies will end up landing in the West? If you had to pick a specific seed, or if you want to give a couple ranges, I think I think it's 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 difficult to argue they're not the worst team in the West. But I I believe someone can surprise us and completely fall apart and finish a couple games worse. So I think their ceiling is 14th in the West, 
but they're probably 15th in the West. Wow, ceiling of 14th in the West. Hey, never count out the Suns from surprise. That's right. That's the right. The Suns can, can always deliver. Do you have a bold or boldish prediction for the 2019-2020 Memphis Grizzlies? Uh, uh, John Morant, John Morant leads the NBA in assists. Wow. Yeah. And you know what? That doesn't even seem like off the rails bold, really. I would, or John, John Morant. I, I, I got to check out the all-star fan voting totals. I know Harden's going to take a hit with the, with the loss of the Chinese vote. I feel like maybe John Morant could actually get up like, like almost up to third in the popular vote. I think he's going to be that popular. Ooh, that's a that might even be a bolder prediction to me. Then, yeah, we got we got Curry we got Curry one. I'm eyeing that two spot. The two spot last year was Derrick Rose. Okay, the two spot in the fan vote last year was Derrick Rose. I'm thinking my, my bold prediction. I, I've I've adjusted it. John Morant will finish second in the fan vote uh, to Steph Curry. There we go. Ooh, all right, you heard it here. I'm gonna we're gonna print out the receipts and we'll we'll show them to you at, a, at another time. Keith, thank you as always. This was great. If you guys are not following uh, Fast Break Breakfast on Twitter. You can be found at Fast Break Break, spelled exactly as it sounds. Subscribe to them. Uh, give money to their Patreon. They're, they're great. Their podcasts are, are always fun. Uh, follow Keith on Twitter specifically as well, at Keith Parrish. Uh, other than that, Keith, any any parting words for us? No, if you're a Grizzlies fan, get on, get on the new Grizzlies podcast, Grits and Grinds. Grits and Grinds. We'll be talking Grizzlies over there. You heard it. Grits and Grinds podcast. Check it out. Uh, Keith, thank you again so much for giving me your time. And until next time, I leave all our listeners with the shout out to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.